Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court delivered a sweeping victory to American business and an equally sweeping defeat to American workers. The court gave the green light to employers who want to bar their workers from bringing class action suits in court as a condition of employment. The vote was 5 to 4. NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg reports. The conservative majority upheld and extended the growing practice adopted by American businesses, namely requiring workers to agree as a condition of employment not to go to court over wage and hour disputes, but to instead submit their claims to binding arbitration individually. Today, the justices added that employers may bar class action suits in court as well. Employment lawyers were elated. Lawyer Ron Chapman, who represents management and labor management disputes, said he expects small and large businesses alike to immediately move to impose these binding arbitration contracts in order to eliminate the fear of costly class action verdicts from juries. It gives employers the green light to eliminate their single largest employment law risk with the stroke of a pen. Many workers don't even know that they've waived their rights to go to court as a condition of employment. Indeed, the lead plaintiff in the case was an IT worker at Epic, the giant healthcare software development company. He got an email notifying all employees that they would be barred from joining any workplace class action lawsuit. By clicking that they received the notice, it turned out he was agreeing to the contract as a condition of continued employment. The Epic workers, as well as junior accountants at Ernst & Young and employees at a Murphy Oil gas station went to the National Labor Relations Board contending that such class action bans were a violation of federal law. That law guarantees the rights of workers to engage in activities for the purpose of collective bargaining or any other concerted activities. The NLRB agreed with the workers in 2014, as did the Obama administration Justice Department. But the Trump administration reversed that decision and sided with the employers when the case was argued in the Supreme Court. Today, Trump appointee Neil Gorsuch, writing for the court majority, said that provision of the 1935 Labor Act that the workers rested their case on is clearly trumped by the Federal Arbitration Act that was enacted 10 years earlier. He said that Congress never intended a provision aimed at collective bargaining in the union context to guarantee workers the right to bring class actions in court. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in a rare oral dissent from the bench, 
called out the majority for what she said was an egregiously wrong decision. The court endorses nothing more than an arm-twisted, take-it-or-leave-it agreement forced upon employees, she said. She noted that the workers' claims are usually small. Indeed, she noted that the typical Ernst & Young employee would likely have to spend $200,000 to recover only $1,800 in overtime pay. For this reason, she said, relatively few workers avail themselves of the arbitration option, and many are fearful of retaliation. The inevitable result of today's decision, she added, will be huge under-enforcement of federal and state laws designed to advance the well-being of vulnerable workers. It's up to Congress, she said, to correct the court's action now. Labor law experts said today's decision likely will present increasing problems for the Me Too movement and for other civil rights class actions claiming discrimination based on race, gender, and religion. There's no transparency in most binding arbitration agreements, and they often include non-disclosure provisions. Yale Law Professor Judith Resnick observes that today's decision applies to all manner of class actions. What this says is that when you buy something, use something, or work for someone, that entity can require you to waive your right to use public courts. Cornell labor law professor Angela Cornell expects the number of these litigation waivers to skyrocket now. What we see is the privatization of our justice system. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. When you have issues of race that come up in those instances, it is very important that there is a policy and a procedure in place to deal with them. A Detroit firefighter reports a colleague's racist remark to higher-ups, but things didn't turn out the way the whistleblower expected. A remark made as the firefighters were watching TV left one of them upset. But when he reported it, he felt that he was the one who got punished instead. Fox 2's Randy Wimby explains. The situation is being investigated, but there are a lot of concerns about how it was handled. From the people in the room who pretended not to hear the remark, but did, to the fire chief who waited a week to make his statements about the incident. If we make a complaint, we should not we should not be punished as if you know we did something wrong because we spoke up about something that was improper. But it seems that's exactly what happened to Eric Anderson, a black Detroit firefighter at Engine 50 on the city's east side. He and a few co-workers, all white, were watching news coverage of the Bill Cosby rape retrial back in April when one of the firefighters made a blatantly racist remark about a black woman condemning Cosby. He used the word black and... Retired Battalion Chief Tracy Thomas. When he made the statement, the whole room got silent. They wanted to know what is he going to do now? How is he going to respond to that? And he responded like I'm, I expected him to, and I'm glad he did by, oh, really? And walking out of the room. Anderson also reported the firefighter who made the racist remark. The administration removed the firefighter in question from Engine 50, but sources tell Fox 2 Anderson was also shipped out against his will to Engine 40, upending his family schedule, causing him to miss out on anticipated overtime pay and vacation time. If you have workplace violence on that particular job, workplace violence, until it's properly investigated, the both members are dispersed from that particular station. You go somewhere, you go somewhere, so they won't be by each other until they finish investigating. It wasn't workplace violence. He simply made a complaint. 
And he was shipped out as if it was like workplace violence. Fire Commissioner Eric Jones says Anderson requested to leave Engine 50 and take on a new position downtown. But Thomas and other sources familiar with the situation say that only happened after Anderson was removed from Engine 50 and after a new opportunity opened up with the apparatus division in Eastern Market. Is there a whistleblower policy? And a whistleblower policy is something that every organization, every corporation, every institution should have in place such that when someone makes a complaint, they are not retaliated against. We talked with Yarlin Daniels, a racial equity consultant and founder of Harriet Speaks. She says organizations have to protect people who speak up about racism while providing due process and not discarding those accused of it. There has to be some type of reconciliation, mediation process to deal with these things. Because I'll tell you what, if we continue the habit of every time there is an instance removing someone or firing them, all we're going to do is push these things under the surface. We reached out to the fire union about the situation. The the president offered this statement. The union continues to monitor the administration's investigation and or process of mitigating this matter. Our DFFA members are proud of and embrace the diversity shared fraternally on America's busiest fire EMS department. I'm Randy Wembley, and this is The Edge. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. Fired! NFL team owners today unanimously approved a new policy. In essence, it is not okay for National Football League players to kneel during the national anthem before games. If they don't want to stand, they can stay in their locker rooms. NPR sports correspondent Tom Goldman joins us now. Hi, Tom. Hi, Ari. Uh, tell us more about what this new policy says. I'm going to give you the official NFL language, okay? Um, all team and league personnel on the field shall stand and show respect for the flag and the anthem. A club will be fined by the league if its personnel are on the field and do not stand and show respect for the flag and the anthem. Now, this idea of respect is being questioned. Who exactly determines what respect look, looks like? Could standing but raising a fist or linking arms, as many players did last season, could that be respectful? Now, at least one owner, Art Rooney of the Pittsburgh Steelers, was quoted as saying those actions would be considered disrespectful. The new policy is not a blanket order that every player has to be on the field and standing for the national anthem. As you mentioned, players who don't want to stand can stay in the locker room or, say, a stadium tunnel until after the anthem has finished playing. So as we said, this was unanimous by the team owners, but beyond yeah. that circle, it's kind of controversial. What has the reaction been? It is. Uh, players' union is not happy. Uh, the, the union says owners took the vote without consulting them, and the union says it's ready to challenge the decision. Among the players' reaction, particularly interesting to note uh, the reactions by Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed. Kaepernick, of course, was the first to protest back in 2016. Uh, he took a knee to draw attention to issues of social inequality and police treatment of minorities. Eric Reed was his then teammate on the San Francisco 49ers and the first player to join Kaepernick in the protests. Both both men are free agents and haven't been signed by any teams. They are suing NFL owners for alleged collusion. And today their response was simply to retweet a tweet by their attorney, Mark Garagos, which posted an article on the new policy and the hashtag NFL collusion. 
The owners approved this policy at their spring meeting in Atlanta. We're months away from the most intense part of the debate over the kneeling uh, protest. So why is this happening now? Well, you know, it's not really out of the blue. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, th- this issue has been raging since 2016 when Kaepernick first took a knee. Then last year, President Trump poured gasoline on the fire when he called protests, protesting players SOBs, thoroughly politicizing the issue. And then last October, there was a meeting between players and owners about the protests. The New York Times obtained audio from that meeting, and it showed there's still a tremendous amount of angst about the issue. Some owners are really worried about this pro- the protests spilling into another season and causing even more upset among some fans and sponsors and advertisers. And so just briefly, what do you think is going to happen when the season kicks off in September? Well, you know, the NFL would, would like this to to have solved everything. The owners in Goodell said they hope the new policy helps return the focus to football. But you can envision different scenarios this season. What if a bunch of players take their protests into the locker rooms, then come out onto the field after the anthem? Will fans boo them? Will some players challenge the new rule and do something owners regard disrespectful during the anthem? So, no, it doesn't appear today's announcement is the end, especially if the union mounts a challenge. That's NPR sports correspondent Tom Goldman. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, May 24th, 2018. So I have been told this is our weekly broadcast neutralizing workplace racism. The very first people to call in to the program, if we have any black listeners who have figured out these are the things to do on the job so that you are not maligned, accused of being aloof, too quiet, you don't speak up enough, you don't share ideas, you're not a team player, you don't fit in with our culture, you avoid all of those accusations or that you molested a white woman. You get all of your bonuses, raises, on time, extra, in fact. You have never have any difficulties with getting sick time, vacation time, personal days, emergency leave, never a problem. If you need to transfer to a different branch, no problem. You have a great office and are looking to kick back, put your feet up on your desk and rake in the money for the next however long until you, you know, are ready to retire, you should be the very first person to call in to help explain how you did that so the rest of us can emulate your workplace success. If you're an entrepreneur, same thing. If being a black entrepreneur has helped you totally eradicate workplace racism, if you have white vendors or white clients, Uh, or white people that have to come and sign, you know, whatever license you might have to have for your business operations, and you never have any issues, no problems, even if you have white employees, there's never, ever an issue with racism, white supremacy. You got that conquered. You should be the very first person to dial in. The number 641-715-3640. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Certainly, if you have any problems, 
concerns, if you just want to share an incident and get counter-racist perspective or suggestions on what you are dealing with uh, to try to solve problems without creating new problems, certainly dial in the number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate. If you want to join the conversation, but you're not able to dial in with your phone, you can send an email uh, until justice at gmail dot com. I can read your commentary on the air if you're having like a, a specific scenario that you'd like us to address uh, or if you just you know have a, a counter racist comment or suggestion on a scenario that has been discussed, uh, you can email untiljustice at gmail.com and I can share your commentary on the air. Before we get started, I did want to say about the cows uh, t-shirts. The counter-racist t-shirt, the one that I've been talking about uh, each and every time that I go to yoga class, uh, it did say, please respect me like I am a white person. Uh, the original thought was for the shirt to say, please treat me like I am a white person. So that's what, uh, the new version, that's what they will say. Please treat me like I am a white person. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm unashamed to say I'm gleeful about that. Mr. Fuller asks that we not, uh, request anybody respect us. Uh, and I don't, I don't think there will be any confusion with regards to what, uh, is meant by the word treat. So I'm ecstatic uh, and looking forward uh, to round two of the shirts. Uh, this is supposed to be an experiment to gauge how racists uh, respond to the shirt and non-white people, but I was primarily thinking of whites and their response to the shirt. But uh, the orders for the shirts will be at the end of the month. The cost is $25 per shirt. That does include uh, shipping and handling. You can email, and I think uh, I gave out the incorrect email over the weekend, which is horrible because that meant people had to email Gus about the shirts, which is exactly what was you know we were trying to avoid. Whew, we'll try to clean that up as best we can. So, again, the most important thing about the shirts is do not email Gus T. Renegade. Email cowsshirt at gmail.com. Added an extra S for the weekend. Cows, C-O-W-S, all caps, shirt, S-H-I-R-T, at gmail.com. Cows, shirt, at gmail.com. Trav, uh, he will take excellent care of you. I think we had lots of folks who said that they were able to get their shirt quickly. Uh, We still had the shirts uh, in stock, but making a different uh, pressing. I would say go ahead and and email him sooner than later, even if it's just to get information about, you know, how many shirts you want and shirt sizes. Uh, That's important uh, in going in to make another pressing and uh, the you know he can give you all the details in terms of when you can expect the shirt to arrive, Uh, but just drop an email, cowsshirt at gmail.com travel again take excellent care of you lots of folks have the shirt and this is supposed to be an experiment so once you have it if you could you know make a report on how people respond to you wearing the shirt that would be super appreciated back to the regular focus of the broadcast 
Uh, there was another of there was a lot with regards to workplace racism. Uh, the audio clips that you heard, uh, the Supreme Court decision making it more difficult for class action lawsuits for collective victims of racism to say, hey, we are being mistreated uh, collectively. This is a wide pattern of incorrect behavior on the job to make it more difficult for that to happen or to make it impossible for that to happen in certain work scenarios. Uh, the second scenario, the fire department. I don't know if retired firefighters here or listening or what have you, but uh, we lots every week. It seems we got a new story with uh, the firefighters and the fire department and uh, their routine acts of terrorism uh, against black people, whether it's fellow black firefighters or just black civilians uh, in that one. They beeped it out that and I, I try to put the whatever they censor I try to put it back in but sometimes I fail that times I fail I really really hate that because uh it, it can become unclear what's being said right so he said nigger that was one when they were watching television uh they were apparently watching some news report about Bill Cosby and a race soldier firefighter race soldier uh felt compelled to invoke the word nigger and the word bitch when a black female I guess was giving her views or what have you on Mr. Cosby. And I thought that was super important because it wasn't just the individual race soldier who made those comments. It was the other whites. Not what do we talk about? <laughs> who has the greatest no snitch policy in the known universe? And they flex this real hard on the job. Whites. Hands down. Uh, but they demonstrated the no snitch and the Voltron effect right there. What happened? Who said something? Bill Cosby was going to get in charge with what now? We're all going to take the fifth. <laughs> Go get us a donut and wait for the next fire call. Standard tacky behavior at the fire department, no less. And that's another one we talk on the program. <clears throat> during like the initial incident part of it, right? When he makes the comments. So important to keep your composure, regardless of how you handle the situation. If you get, hmm, if you just pull out your phone, if you tapped in time so you got that recorded, however you, you know, choose to respond, keep your composure. You cannot, you know, be surprised about that sort of thing. And then you cannot allow that to have you riled up and emotional. And I can't, you know, to have that sort of response. You're studying. Racism, white supremacy, counter-racism, what it is, how it works, that is to help you so that you're not surprised, you're not stunned, you are able to manage your emotions dealing with a race soldier so that this situation will work out best for you. Very important. Final situation, I feel like that'll be something we can talk about on the compensatory call-in, although the NFL situation, that is absolutely 1,000% workplace racism for sure uh the only reason that i'm being brief with that is as i said we'll have time i feel like that'll come up sometime over the weekend in the next few days and there were other things there were so many reports dealing with workplace racism this week there was another report that just came out today i, I would have substituted i already had the sound clip made and then this report came out even though it came out early this morning but i had the sound clip made last night uh, and I said, ah, I don't want to change it. I would have taken that NFL clip out and played this instead because I think this is uh, substantially more important. Workers are losing billions with a B, billions of dollars because of time theft. Maybe some of you are familiar with wage theft, not being paid for work that's on the clock. 
Well, what about when a scheduled lunch break at work never happens and you're an hourly worker who ends up working instead? Well, that is called time theft, and our colleagues Stacy Vanek Smith and Cardiff Garcia from our Planet Money team bring us a story of Dawn, a nurse in Texas who specializes in postpartum care. I listened to this story. I didn't read it the first time. I think that Dawn is likely a black person. I could be incorrect. Continuing. Dawn is usually looking for after is usually looking after around seven or eight new mothers and babies a day. When they need something or have a question, they call Dawn on a phone she keeps in the pocket of her scrubs. And there are a lot of questions. How do I do the birth certificate? When do I get to go home? When does the doctor come in? Between patient care and all the questions, Dawn says she doesn't have time for a lunch break on most days. Even if I get a 30-minute lunch, I still have a phone in my pocket and anybody can come searching for me. Dawn says her patients all take a survey at the end of their hospital stay. It is issued by Medicare and Medicaid, and if the survey scores aren't really high, there's a risk the hospital won't get reimbursed by the government. One of the questions they ask is, how quickly did your nurse respond to to your pressing the call light or making a phone call? Dawn realized she was often working 90 minutes a week that she was not getting paid for. See, this definitely sounds like niggerized treatment. So Dawn headed up a class action lawsuit, and we just heard that Supreme Court decision, right? Class action lawsuit on behalf of the nurses in her hospital for time theft. She asked that we not use her last name or name the hospital where she works because the lawsuit is still going on. And so are a lot of lawsuits. Uh, and so are a lot of lawsuits like this. Liz Tippett is an associate professor of law at the University of Oregon, right down the road, and she just completed a study where she looked at hundreds of cases of time theft. So I looked at a court at court decisions involving lawsuits over the way that employers had set up their timekeeping systems. Liz cites a recent report from the Economic Policy Institute, which found that time theft violations for minimum wage workers, they stuff a lot of niggers in minimum wage jobs, totaled more than $15 billion a year. And the report found nearly a fifth of low-wage workers are experiencing a pretty extreme impact of time theft. They re- the report said these workers were losing about a quarter of their weekly earnings to wage theft. The more I looked into this, the worse it looked. Do you think automation makes it worse? Yes. Really? Here's why. Let's say you had a sort of an older version of wage theft where someone tells you you just have to work off the clock. There are sort of social limits to that because when you tell someone you need to work off the clock, they know they're being asked to work on the clock and they might get fed up. But when one person presses a button once and it just shaves off time day after day after day, That's a scalable robot that can do it every day with great consistency. It's like evil spell check. What a metaphor. Liz Tippett says the situation could easily change. She thinks regulation should be put in place that would force employers to stop rounding or that would force them to stop using software to create a situation where employees are pressured to say they took breaks that they didn't actually take 
I would just pause there. Now, when they say regulation, now, given what just happened at the Supreme Court this week, now, how likely do we think such regulation would be? Continuing, Dawn, the nurse in Texas, said she would love to see a solution at her hospital that would facilitate the nurses actually being able to take their breaks. I know some hospitals have implemented a partnership where you partner two nurses together and they basically take turns. I'm going to stop there. Uh, just I'm stopping there because I think Mr. Fuller frequently says whites could solve the problem of white supremacy racism like immediately. This seems like a situation that could be solved without a whole lot of difficulty. I mean, she already presented. They have solutions. They know how this could be taken care of easily. Patients need still get met. Nurses still get their breaks. No problem. We don't have to cheat anyone out of their hours. They're waiting. We don't have to do any of that. That's not what they want to do. They want to practice white supremacy racism. Very important that that is understood in all areas. But I thought that was super uh, important as well. We could have had many reports, as is the case most weeks with regards to workplace racism. Uh, once again, I know scandal is done. You do have playoff basketball and it is spring. So, I mean, you could be frolicking outside. This is not an entertainment option. There are plenty in the system of white supremacy, diversions, distractions. This is a broadcast for participation. If you are a victim of white supremacy, if you have had a job, have a job, for sure, you are experiencing or did experience uh, workplace racism, uh, whether we recognized it or not. And even that, I think, is important sometimes just recounting like, wow, these things were happening and I didn't even realize or recognize that this is racism, white supremacy that's happening to me. I just thought I was having a bad day at work or, you know, whatever. However, we process the situation uh, originally. Uh, but I think that's super important uh, and sharing, uh, just being able to observe different patterns uh, with regards to things whites do to us in the workplace, because a lot of times you'll see tremendous consistency uh, in their misconduct towards black people. Uh, extremely important. I think uh, younger listeners that we have to the program benefit and older listeners, myself included. Um, but I definitely think younger listeners uh, benefit uh, from hearing from folks who have uh, maybe a, a longer work history. Uh, so you have experienced, unfortunately, a bit more of the racist antics that go on. I think that can be very helpful for folks to get a better grasp of, you know, what to expect, what to be on the lookout for and already having a code in mind like, oh, OK, if this sort of thing happens, I'll say this, I'll do this. Talked about that sexual uh, unwanted touching, already having a code in mind for that, because that is so prevalent in the workplace and beyond. The number again, six. Four one seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, first few folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, if you have commentary to share, lines should be open. Uh, feel free to participate. Hello, may I be heard? Greetings, Red in Nevada. Hello. Hello. Um, thank you for taking my call. Hello, everyone. Um, I guess I don't have too much to share this week. I definitely appreciate the clips, and I, I was actually reading about the uh, Supreme Court's decision. 
and I think it might have been on um, BTR Community maybe, but um, I'm glad that that clip, it actually explained a lot because in the article that I was reading, it just kind of seemed like, oh, well, you know, employers are kind of taking away a step, and I I think they spoke about in the article I read, it was um, dealing with employees at Kraft, but it actually made me think about a a class action lawsuit that I was involved in that I didn't even know I was involved in. It was for a a plantation that I worked for for not that long, but it was a, a like a several years several years ago. And one of the things that I noticed because I was just going through some of my old paperwork was that it was basically um, to do with you know of course of uh, racism where they weren't um, some black uh, employees had filed a class action lawsuit saying that they were not getting their raises timely and they were being passed over for promotions, just typical racism. And, but in the letter, it said that they kind of based it, they kind of based the um, settlement on maybe how long you worked or your probability of even being um, eligible for a, for um, advancement. And so they basically said, well, you know what, if it's only, if it's less than like, $100, then we're just not giving you anything. So I thought that that was interesting how like the lawyers kind of dictate, well, you know, we'll we'll send you a letter, but, you know, we used you for this class action lawsuit, but we're not going to give you anything for it. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting anything, but I just thought that that was interesting. And that kind of made me think of that. Um, And now uh, just with my, with my current plantation, there's not too much to report. I have been uh, making sure to stay on code as much as possible um, and not trying to make it so obvious that I don't really, um, you know, want to speak to, to white people. Um, I actually, a a white female, she was so happy about something um, uh, like the workload at the job. It was being, um, it was uh, like the workload was uh, lightening up or whatever. It was, uh, it was being reduced and I was just walking past her and she kind of touched me on my arm and she's like, look, look, we don't have to do that much. And so it's like, this is one of the, the people who, I mean, I really don't talk to. She kind of is one of those types who will um, take up too much of your time just, just by talking to herself, kind of bait you into a conversation, you know, hi, how are you? And then just talk about herself. But um, I've been just making sure to, you know, try to keep conversations as minimum as possible and, and I still kind of um, being polite since I am on, you know, on the job and, I guess that's all I'll share this week. Um, thank you for allowing me to share. Outstanding. Appreciate that, Red. That is uh, important. I don't. I think somehow that gets conveyed or misconstrued that being uh, codified is about being discourteous uh, or aloof, like you you just become mute and don't say anything on the job. And you know, I've said consistently that's that's not the goal. Um, that's you're, it seems that black people are frequently accused of being quiet on the job anyway or uh, not not talking in that sort of thing. So being codified is certainly not about being quiet. Uh, you certainly want to remain courteous uh, and not give the impression that I'm here uh, to give everyone the cold shoulder, as they say. But you certainly got back to that time theft thing. Whites, they are they are insidious. They do it so many different ways. Delectable Negro. Vincent Woodard, uh, he talks about uh, psychic energy and how whites uh, it just in a variety of ways consume uh, the energy, time, 
resources, intelligence of black people uh, and just being mindful about that, especially on the job. Like if they're just coming up to gab about them, say, mm-hmm, right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, got things to do. Got to be moving <laughs> and uh, and keep it moving. I would even I would even try and uh, get better uh, once I noticed that, like if it took me let's say 45 seconds to discard her once she got off on some nonsense. Like, I'm going to see if I can trim that down to 30 seconds by the end of the week. Maybe I can get it down to 20 seconds uh, next week. Like, you know, she can get in one or two sentences, but once it's off on, you know, we blanched carrots this weekend and oh my goodness, a squirrel was, oh, okay. Well, that is wonderful, Carol. I'm going to talk to you later and uh, keep it moving. Courteous, but staying on code. Uh, other folks uh, that we've not heard from at all, if you have commentary you want to share, line should be open. Proceed. Hello? Uh, yes, ma'am. We can hear you, but your volume is very, very low. Okay. What about now? Is that, am I better? better? Uh, that's That's a little bit better. If you could move closer to your mic, maybe that might help. Hello, this is Helen is from New York. That's substantially better. Substantially better. Make sure you stay at that level and speak with a lot of black uh, black self-respect. Okay. Um, hi, Gus. Hello, everybody. Um, this is Helen from New York. Um, calling about um, a question from last week about evaluating your coworkers in front of people. I don't remember how long ago this happened. But um, when I was more confused, when I was asked to evaluate um, other coworkers, I did answer the question because I was a lot more confused back then. Um, I was one of Oh, are you are you still with us, Helen? Are you still there, Helen? Not able to hear you, Helen. Might have lost Helen. If you can, if you're able to hear me, Helen, we're not able to hear you at all. I'm not sure if it's a an audio problem or if your line got disconnected, but we're not able to hear you at all, Helen. Uh, if you uh, get the audio situation figured out, I'll let you know. If you want to hang up and dial back in, we can try that as well. I'll just look out for you on the switchboard. Uh, other folks who dialed in while we're waiting uh, to hear back from Helen, uh, if you have a hand up, line should be open. Uh, your volume is very low as well, uh, if you can speak up. I can hear you, but your volume is very low. I'm, I'm not sure if you're... Say again. Yes, uh, Draftomania, I can hear you, but your volume still is pretty low. I'm not sure can you can turn your volume up or get closer to your receiver or both maybe and speak up. Okay. That's better. Okay, can, um, can you hear me now? Okay, great. Um, how are you, uh, Josh, and the callers? Um, right poorly. How are you doing today? Well, um, um, this is like an outside incident in front of my job. Um, right now, I, I uh, pitch public transportation, um, and 
it's uh, your line has quite a bit of distortion in it. It's difficult to uh, understand you. Like it's quite a bit of distortion. It's uh, yeah, I'm having a difficult time hearing you. I'm not sure if uh, if you want to. Same thing we said with the last call. If you want to try and see if you can get a little bit clearer. Do you have? Are you using a headset? Uh yes. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Is it better or no? It's still kind of uh, it's a little better. If you want to start over and try again, we'll see if if that's better. I'll, I'll, we'll have to, is it, is it better now? Or maybe what I'll do, maybe I'll call, uh, I'll hang up and I'll call back. Okay, that'll maybe work I'll too. Okay. 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 I'll look for you on the, on the switchboard. Tech issues. <laughs> Technology. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you still, uh, if other folks who dialed in with a hand up uh, while we're seeing if we can get, uh, better reception uh, for some of our other folks who dialed in. Uh, if you have a hand up, a line should be open. Hopefully you'll have a clearer line. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Can you hear me very clearly? Crystal. All right. Awesome. Uh, this is the um, software developer in Wisconsin. I just had a quick update to my call last week. Last week I called in and I said that uh, some surveillance was increased um, by my lead architect after a conversation about betting and and uh, not joining in with my uh, teammates or coworkers. Well, I was out of work on Friday. I was on vacation for something else. And when I got back on Monday, my desk had clearly been rifled through, so things were out of place. So I believe that they were going in my desk. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm very cautious. I think that they may be trying to fire me. I think that's, I mean, that's, that's my worst-case scenario situation, so I'm preparing myself for that. Um, it seems like they sort of intensified their scrutiny, but... Um, at the same time, you know, they're being deceptive. They're smiling and everything else. So I'm just working on my LinkedIn and all this other stuff. And, and just hopefully uh, hopefully I can get out of there and leave them worse than, I, than they were when I was there. I mean, before I came. So um, that's all I have today. And I'll mute my line. Thanks. Wow. Our caller in Wisconsin uh, and on this program, uh, I talked about the importance of words. Uh, I've said on workplace racism before uh, about that possessive adjective. Uh, it's not my job. It's not my office. It's not my desk, not my computer. I think that's very important uh, just mentally for us to, to, to be mindful of, of that at all times uh, because they can at any time just come and say yeah this is this is our job not yours and you're not uh, doing this job here anymore or any other job they do that to us all the time uh, and same thing with the desk the office I've seen that too where they come in and say oh yeah we're taking we're taking our desk you're going to get this one now <laughs> they, don't, they don't ask or anything else so I think it's super important and I think you know when I've said consistently don't leave any personal items. Uh, don't, you know, not even a bowl of candy, nothing uh, in your desk, on your computer, like just 
Think of that at all times, that as soon as you leave to go to the bathroom, uh, they're going to be rifling through everything, <laughs> going through your, your Internet history and archives and any and everything that they possibly can. Uh, so just think that way at all times. And fine, no problem. Knock yourself out. Uh, you can go through it, get fingerprints, DNA samples, any and everything. Knock yourself out. Have fun. And I'll see you all tomorrow morning. <laughs> like That's the way yep. we should be thinking. Oh, did you have anything? No, no, I was just No, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, there's nothing personal in my desk. There's mm-hmm. nothing personal or in the desk that I'm using. There's nothing personal in the computer that I'm using. I mean, they're obviously really looking for something, you know, and that's and they're not going to find it. But uh, you can tell they're they're desperately looking for something. So I you know, I'm just just grateful for you know, the cows for Mr. Fuller for, you know, just that foresight of not even leaving anything personal at my desk. I mean, at the desk that I use, not even one picture, you know, not even, I maybe had a pack of gum in there. I really, you know, I can throw that away. Not a big deal, but um, yeah, that, that, that is very important. Not having anything that they can use against you is very important. That's why they're scrambling now. So thank you again. I'll meet my line. Just being codified can just simple things, simple things that we can do to just be codified that I think would serve us well in the work capacity and uh, that sort of behavior, the surveillance and it, uh, with races, sometimes they want you to know that they rifle through the desk just for that sense of anxiety. Like, Oh, we're watching you, nigga. We got our eye on you. And we talked about that before just to have you have us stressed. I think they do that to tons uh, of black people on the job just to have us stressed and worrying, you know, am I going to be fired? Are they going to move my schedule? We heard that with the the black firefighter. Are they going to move my schedule around so that I'm missing out on my overtime opportunities and messing up my scheduling with my family, attempted family? They do this sort of thing routinely. Uh, Edward Baptist, the half has never been told uh, just to, you know, have us. They know the impact that that has on health as well uh, when you tamper with someone's job on a a regular basis uh, with their using to support themselves. Uh, Other folks? Uh One more thing. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, Doug. One more thing. Um, So the reason why I think they're they're firing me or at least trying to keep me uh, in the position that I'm in and and not um, not give not. um, I can't think of the word. I'm a little nervous. Um, Well, not pay me accordingly um, is that the position that I was trying to get the um, analyst position that I was trying to move into, they're hiring for that analyst position. And I saw, I was actually in a meeting and my uh, supervisor's computer was being being, uh, shared on the big screen and I saw an email pop up for uh, hiring of a new analyst. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Also, uh, I, I just think, I don't know, I just think that they're, they're really they're really looking for something. Um, I just have a plan to sort of update my LinkedIn. I've also noticed that people have been looking anonymously at my LinkedIn again. Um, I have a plan to update it at like 11:59 on Monday evening, so that they don't have enough time to strategize. You know, between the time they see it and the time they see me on Tuesday, so I can get a maybe a more honest response to it than uh, they would they would normally do if they if I updated it on Friday per se. So 
Okay, I'm done for real this time. Thank you. Appreciate that caller in Wisconsin. That having a strategy. That's just what I mean. Codification, you have a plan based on your understanding of what racism, white supremacy is, what it means to be classified as white, uh, and how they are terrorizing, working against you on the job. You have a plan to neutralize that. That is having a code plan, and then you apply that plan uh, in terms of you know all aspects of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Uh, let's see, we got, I think, Helen is back with us. Uh, we will see if we have a clear line. Uh, do you want to try again, Helen? Yes. Hello. Can you hear me better now? Substantially better. Market improvement. Thank you. Um, I apologize for the technical dif- uh, difficulties earlier. Um, what I was saying is that uh, I was asked before to evaluate uh, coworkers and, oh, hello, everybody, and the guests. Um, I was asked to evaluate, you asked um, this question last week about um, having to evaluate coworkers in front of other people. So um, I've had that experience before a few times, and when I was less codified, I would answer the question. Um, I was one of those type of people that would be like overly friendly, um, the job greeter at the job, thinking that's how you keep a job you know, on top of doing your best work. And I noticed after a while that that's not, that doesn't work. So uh, I decided, okay, I'm just going to be civil. Stop being, you know, overly friendly. And when I was overly friendly, I answered honestly. When I became codified, I, I, you know, um, I just started like, when I was asked to evaluate other people, I would say, well, you know, who? But I would play dumb. But I didn't even see that as them practicing racism. I just thought that, oh, the supervisor or whoever is just being lazy, well, they do their own job, and I'm not going to answer them. Now I'm learning that they were practicing racism when they were asking me that question because I clearly wasn't qualified to, you know, give that type of evaluation, and it's just going to cause drama at the job. Um, I have other stuff, but I'll share later. Thank you for letting me share that. For sure. Appreciate we did. We talked about that just last week and other folks uh, having to experience that. And I think that's a lot of people just not not understanding racism, white supremacy and not understanding uh, how just the, the simple things, simple ways that conflict can be generated in the workplace uh, and how that that can be used to create more problems for you specifically, just not understanding racism. Lots of us end up being in that position and just not knowing what to say and end up saying anything, saying the wrong thing that does not end up working out in, in our uh, favor, uh, just having a code. And, and I'm reminded even requesting time, uh, if something happens like that and they ask you to, you know, give an evaluation, sometimes you just have to say, wow, I'm going to have to think about that. Can I get a little more time to make an assessment? I was not prepared to make, you know, a conclusion on that today at this very moment uh, and see, you know, what they say there, because that can be important. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from at all, if you have a hand up, if you have commentary. Oh, let's see. We can go two for two. Let's see. Draftomania, uh, was that was that you? Yes, Gus. Can you hear me better now? Markedly better. Two for two. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, good evening, guests and Gus. Um, 
I, what I was saying earlier is that um, this is an outside incident. It's um, happened outside of my job. I catch um, public transportation, and I've noticed um, yesterday, I noticed that it was this guy. Um, we have a parking lot to our job, and, you know, people can easily just go and park their car inside of the parking lot. But I have to catch the, um, the uh, what do you call it? It's like a little um, transportation um, bus that comes up port, uh, that comes and picks, picks up in, in front of the job. So it's this um, white guy, um, you know, he parks outside of, the, um, outside of the building where I'm at to catch the bus. And he sits there and he parks his truck and he's just staring at me. So I, I took notice of it, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you try to be aware of your surroundings and what's going on. So I'm like, wow, you know, why is this guy just parked here and he's just staring at me? So I made note of it and I, you know, I kind of like, you know, took note of it and I just went and I got on the bus. So I noticed today, the same guy, he's sitting there, like he's sitting there, he's like smoking a cigarette, but he's like very obviously he's just looking at me. So what I ended up doing is I went and I um took pictures of his uh of a, of his uh truck and I took pictures of the um license plate because I'm like I said he he made it very obvious is that he's just sitting there and he's looking at me. So, you know, we talk about the civilian's job and things that happen. So I just you know, I just took that uh took pictures just to be codified just in case anything happens or what have you because I'm like wondering why are you sitting right um directly across from me and watching me. So it just made me pretty uncomfortable and I was just wondering if um you thought that that was uh, the right thing to do. I, I ended up, I just walked up and I took pictures of the um, license plates of the um, truck. Absolutely. I think that's prudent. I think that uh, whites in, in a similar situation, particularly if it had been a black person just standing there looking. Oh, yeah. They demonstrate that all the time. They would have been already called 911 and reported three or four white people might have reported them. But, yeah, I think that sort of thing should be taken seriously. It reminded me of uh, absolutely Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. I think a white woman saw him doing the same thing, basically lurking out in the parking lot uh, before one of the explosions went off. But I mean, yeah, any any sort of white person that's just there lurking, and particularly you're noticing this day after day, uh, multiple more than once, yeah. where this person is just out here loitering, as they say, for what? Why are you standing here? And why does it? You know, it seems like your attention might be focused on me. Excellent job getting the photograph. I wouldn't care if he, you know, saw you taking a photograph, letting them know that you're Oh, serious. yeah, and I made sure he saw me Beautiful. because I, I took pictures of him also in the van. I made it very clear that I was taking pictures of him because he wanted me to, to he wanted, I felt as if he would made it very clear that he was staring at me and that he wanted me to feel uncomfortable. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable also. And I had pictures on in my camera phone. Great job. I don't know if they have um, security on your job or what have you, but you can report it since you have pictures and let them know, you know, this guy's been loitering close to the uh, close to the parking uh, area. I've seen him, you know, several times and I didn't feel comfortable. I don't know if he works here or not, but just sharing information on someone who looks suspicious close to the property. I don't know if you all have, you know, security or what have or even I would you can still report. You can even report even if you don't have security. You can report it to human resources uh, or supervisor on the job. That's the sort of thing they should want to know. Employee safety, I would think. Right. 
Um, yeah, um, well, we don't have any um, security, as you stated. Um, and because I work third shift, I work third shift. So when I get off of work, it's in the, it's in the, uh, in the morning. So um, people are just coming in. But during the evening, there's nobody there. Actually, there's just absolutely nobody there. So um, I don't know, like, Actually, I don't know who I could tell, but I will, like, take into, I don't know how serious they're going to take it, um, but I will, like, um, make note of it. Maybe, like, on Wednesday uh, when I go back in, I'll tell the supervisor on that shift. I'll just let her know. I'll make her um, aware of it. And she gave me some good um, information about a, 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 a application that you can put on your phone um, to surveil your neighborhood, to see what's going on in your neighborhood. Um, it's a uh, application is called the Ring, and you can just um, see what um, what kind of reports has been, uh, what kind of crimes has been going on within your neighborhood and things like that. So she might be a little bit more um, open to listening to, um, you know, um, my situation as far as this guy and sitting out there just staring, obviously just staring at me um, in the van like that. So I'm not really sure who I could go to and who will listen to me, but. Like I said, I just felt, you know, uncomfortable. Um, he's just, like, staring at me and, you know, uh, uh, some strange white man just looking at me every day. So, Yeah, I would, <clears throat> especially knowing more information that you're working the third shift uh, in those odd hours mm-hmm. and, you know, leaving early in the morning. Might I don't know if it's still dark then or whatever, but uh, with that, I would definitely, just as a safety concern, because I would think <clears throat> the people – uh, in management supervisors, I would think that they would want employees who are working those hours, especially coming in late at night and leaving early in the morning to feel safe uh, on their way to and from their vehicle uh, to get, you know, to mm-hmm. work. So I would definitely report it. I think most most uh, employers where there's any sort of baseline concern for safety, that would be something like, oh, yeah, let us know about that if we need to get an escort or at least even just to report it to let people know hey if you see this guy let us know have you had an incident have you seen this guy like that sort of thing just to be proactive about that i think is is prudent that's safe particularly in this day and age like yeah i'd report and uh, might even you know have my photo work handy <laughs> for for because you know he could be doing this right. to somebody else too you know Mm-hmm. absolutely Okay, well, I, uh, well, I thank you um, for that. I have some um, other things I can share later on, but um, I just wanted to get that out because that just happened to me this morning. And, you know, I tried to say, you know, codified and not, you know, get upset, but I also wanted to remain safe at the same time. Absolutely. Just... Always err on with anything that's uh, safety where you don't uh... – not just you, anybody, everybody that's listening to the broadcast, anything where it's a safety issue or uh, where you think it could be some sort of physical violence or you're just not feeling comfortable, always err on the side of caution uh, on that. Like we're already uh, under a system of white supremacy. Any sort of additional uh, safety issues or concerns like, man, we got enough to deal with already. Like I would report it immediately. Uh, context of white Supremacy number again six four one seven one five three six four zero the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up commentary to share. 
Uh, or I guess if you have your own situation or if you have suggestions for what's been shared thus far, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, everyone. Uh, I guess I'll uh, say something uh, about the uh, fire department issue and uh, NFL. Uh, started with the fire department, uh, uh, basically uh, indirectly from the, the, the incident that you uh, reported on, I, I'll say this. I started uh, with Dade County Fire Department. I was uh, 23 years old when I started. And uh, I cannot think of any other employment that would advance a person on the subject of racism, white supremacy, more than being employed on anybody's fire department. Uh, because you're going to uh, be a victim of it uh, just about in some way or fashion, directly or indirectly, uh, just about every day that you show up for work. And as Mr. Clark uh, would tell you and share with you, even when you're not on duty, uh, you would have that uh, experience. Uh and uh, it's uh, basically, uh, uh, you know, been through all of, the, all of the history. And even before the technology, uh, white firefighters have been intimately connected in this part of, the, part of the world. I mean, only a phone call away. That's another... Uh, uh, experience that you can uh, that you witnessed with uh, Mr. Clark, you know, as far as on how the uh, white firefighters all over the country uh, knew about those militant figures uh, with that flag within about within about maybe two or three hours or less. Uh, NFL NFL uh, issues. Uh, with the uh, symbolic uh, uh, counter races uh, 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 activity, uh, I uh, you know through my many years of coaching high school football, uh, I've coached a lot of uh, black males who uh, played in the National Football League and are currently in the National Football League. And uh, uh, I would uh, suggest I, I would not uh, make a any type of uh, demands on what they should do. Uh, that would have to be left up to that person if they're going to do anything. Uh, what I've been hearing lately, even on some uh, radio programs, uh, unfortunately, non-white black people who are basically uh stating yeah i don't know what's wrong with them why they why they they need to just do it anyway you know that type of thing like that and, and uh from my experience on the job i don't see too many non-white black people putting their uh employment at risk you know like they were demanded on other 
non-white black people on, on, a, on a job. Uh, and uh, so that's something that uh, should be left up to uh, that non-white uh, person themselves. Uh, what else on the subject? Uh, oh, well, anyway, it, it'll, be, it'll be good if I can hear... Uh, some uh, some of the others on the on the line uh, suggestions on what uh, what uh, the uh, players based on what is the uh, what the uh, owners quote unquote which is another cold word for white males uh, on what they uh, are demanding and what uh, should be the uh, the uh, move if any from the uh, non-white black players. I would be interested in just hearing on what the thoughts were be, would be from the uh, listeners. Thank you. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Retired firefighter, I'm sure folks will have plenty to say on that one as we proceed. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary you'd like to share, line should be open. Proceed. Uh, hi, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, hi, um, this is Napa Valley from California. Greetings, good to hear from you. Um, I think my comment on the football um, player thing, um, are you referring to the whole thing about, was it like finding the players for, um, kneeling during the Pledge of Allegiance? Well, I think I think what retired firefighter was talking about, yes, uh, the the new rule about the pledge or the national anthem, uh, as I understood it, it was not the player that would be fined. It would be the team that the player who kneels or whatever disrespectful thing they do during the anthem, the team would get the fine, as I understand it. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I know. I just think that it's like... Um, I feel that's really messed up and unfair. And um, it's kind of taking away the choice of um, the players. And I don't think that's right. So I definitely found the whole rule like pretty upsetting. I don't watch that word fair. Are you, is this your first time dialing into the program? Um, I think it's my second time. Second time. Right on. Right on. Did you have uh, any other uh, commentary, workplace racism that you wanted to share? Or you just wanted to comment on the NFL situation? Um, yes, I do have my own commentary about workplace racism. Um, see. At least for me, recently, um, I've been teaming up with my friends. We're considering um, opening up a business together. And... Every now and then, I send my best friend books, like self-help books. Recently, I sent her a book called The 48 Laws of Power. And um, it's basically this book. Um, I guess some people describe it as a Bible for psychopaths because of how, like, the rules are stated. It almost seems like kind of amoral. But actually, you see these rules followed and enacted in like everyday life um, in politics and like the workplace. 
So um, I sent this to my friend, and I guess, like, what kind of, like, threw me off was how, like, quickly, um, she's, like, non-Black, by the way. She, um, I mean, non-white. She kind of quickly, like, wanted to share it with people and, like, print it out and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't really find it totally appropriate because of the content of the book. And it's kind of like insider rules or like a dirty secret that people know, but they don't talk about. So um, she shares it to this non-white male and like this white male. And basically the conversation goes, um, the white male like says that it's like really the book is like really screwed up because they talk about rules such as um, let's see, taking credit for like things that you didn't do, um, which like really like um, it kind of like rings true. Like I remember when you guys were reading the wisdom of psychopaths on here, and that's something like a white people seem to do. Um, but I almost felt like it was sharing like the insight or like with the enemy even though they already are kind of aware of this stuff but I guess is my question is how to kind of be codified on like discretion and like how I kind of share this information with others because there's also like they keep on kind of playing off of like oh um this is like what like white people do on like a regular basis and stuff like that. And I feel like it can generally be used in everyday situations. It doesn't just have to like apply to white people. So um, yeah, that's basically all I have to say. I see. Okay. Uh, we were, <clears throat> that's a book that has been uh, suggested for the book club, 48 Laws of Power. Consider it down the road. Uh, I would say just number one, a big part of my codification for the job and just throughout the system of white supremacy. uh, If they're not going to be any secrets, uh, if you tell one other person, that is not a secret. Uh, And just assuming any bit of information, book, whatever it is, uh, if I tell another person, I'm totally okay with, you know, the entire world knowing uh, and just getting in that frame of mind that I'm not sharing information with this one person. Uh, If I'm telling one person, I'm telling everybody. And if I'm not comfortable with this information being shared, then maybe I need to reassess whether or not I'm going to tell this person, especially if you know this person uh, and watch the word fair, watch the word fair, make sure I double emphasize. Uh, But especially if you know that this person might be a little bit more confused about racism. Uh, I don't, I mean, you didn't say that, you know, they had white friends, but sounds like maybe uh, if they're sharing, you know, books and can't wait to go talk with these other white folks uh, about, you know, whatever new information they get. If you know that, then you already have to factor that in, you know, with whatever you say to this person or whatever, or at least I think it would be prudent uh, to factor that in beforehand uh, with whatever I say, whatever I share, it's likely, it seems like this person is pretty chummy with whites that they, you know, might go share this information with other whites or even other non-white people. So, you know, I factored that in before I share the book with them. Um, and, you know, if that could cause any problems uh, and how we move forward 
with the business endeavor. That would be that would be my suggestion to just keep all that in mind and, and how you move forward and just keep in mind they're not going to be likely not going to be any secrets uh, under the system of white supremacy. Uh, any any other suggestions from from our callers, listeners on uh, how you would deal with that situation if you're in some sort of business arrangement or coworker and you share information with them and then they also share it with whites uh, that are in the office, uh, what have you, would you, how would that alter what you share with them or would it alter what you share with them? Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Firefighter. I, I, uh, would say, uh, if I share some, something with the, uh, non-white person with the intent, uh, to work against the system of racism and that, and, uh, somehow that white person, uh, got it. Is, is, is that basically the equation you were talking about? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the non-white person jumped to share it with the white person. I, I would, I would, uh, attempt to have a conversation, a constructive conversation with the non-white person about, uh, about, uh, uh, uh doing that. Uh, although, you know, the, the white person may already know about whatever is in that book anyway, but, but I, I would, uh, kind of like, uh, in a uh, courteous way, the most courteous way possible to uh, basically state to that person that uh, uh, when I uh, share some information, I'm sharing it with just yourself. Okay. Specifically, you know, as far as that concern. Okay, thank you. Yes, ma'am. I do think, or I wouldn't find it improbable with the centuries of terrorism uh, in that sort of tenario, uh, scenario if some victims of white supremacy didn't find that odd uh, like wow you don't like Tom what's the problem that's my guy like you didn't want me to it's great information you don't want Tom to have great information I could see that maybe even being something worthy of making a note of to share with others. Like, mm, I don't know. Firefighter's a little strange. He told me not to share the book. Mm, I don't know. That, like, I could, it would not stun me if that happened in the system of racism, white supremacy. Yeah. Uh, any other folks? Can I, be, can I be heard? Oh, yes, sir. I, I was, I, I was, I would just say, like I stated before, uh, I don't think white people need our help. Hmm. Massive echo. How, how odd. I don't hear it anymore. I'm, I'm actually driving, talking Bluetooth. I don't know. Maybe that caused the problem. I don't know for sure. You're clear now. But, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, as I, as I think I mentioned before, the, White people don't need our help anyway. Uh, so, uh, you know, from that standpoint, and, uh, and, and basically I, I would kind of like, even before I gave it to the person, uh, you know, just to say to them that this is, 
I'm doing this for you as a non You know, talk specifics is what I'm saying, what I'm suggesting. Talk specifics. You know, and uh, I would say maybe the, maybe the non-white person would get it. You know, because there's, there's a logical, there is some logical reasoning on helpful information and how the victims of racism uh, don't need to share helpful information with white people. <laughs> they have access to it if it's something that's going to uh, uh, catapult themselves uh, uh, financially and even even uh, counter-racist information. They know what's correct, logically speaking. They just make the choice not to do the correct thing. So, you know, those are my thoughts. Thank you. Absolutely. Make the choice to do the incorrect thing. Uh, and that might be a good piece of counter-racist codification to add uh, that in the future or for black people. Like if you're thinking, hey, I want to maybe share uh, a book, you know, want to give them some Amos Wilson or Dr. Marimba Ani. Uh, if I give it to him and I, in fact, we have had listeners, Kamisha M. Africa. We talked about that when she was a guest on the program. One of our investors, she said she gave a book, Constructive Information, written by a black author to one of her black colleagues. And they turned around and took that book and used it as evidence that we have got a subversive nigra on the plantation and she should be fine. <laughs> like you can go back and listen yeah. to the archives that that. Uh, yeah, I hear you, uh, uh, Stacey. I will. Yes, ma'am. You're coming right up next. But just something to keep in mind. You can tell them. If it's a non-white person, you know, uh, you know, this is between us or however you would uh, phrase it. But just I do think that that is important because we have had a cow's listener, cow's investor, no less, uh, who got into a lot of trouble uh, around sharing uh, controversial Negro literature with a black coworker. Uh, Stacy in the UK joining us live two seventeen a.m. Friday morning. Hi, Gus morning can you hear me yes hi and hello to all the other callers um yeah i was just going to agree actually i don't think it's probably the wisest move to share too much information with colleagues um and i you know i i couldn't hear properly whether she said she had emailed information or um had given uh, copy or whatever, but um, I would be cautious as well about leaving an audit trail. So there's one thing to um, have a conversation with a coworker about any matters like that, but then I wouldn't send information by email because even if you're not recording um, by that person, emails just provide audit trails um, as evidence against you. Should anybody want to? Um, undermine you in the future. I mean, the, the full check laws of power isn't necessarily a book about race issues anyway. It's, I guess it's um, more about business strategy and just uh, rules for operating in life. Um, I, I doubt very much whether there's anyone in the workplace that doesn't really know about that book and certainly not um, suspected racists. Um, but yeah, I would just be a bit cautious. I couldn't remember the name of the caller, um, whether it was Red in Nevada, who was concerned about being observed at work when she's entering. 
the oh. officer. Yeah, yeah. That was the female caller in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, I, I was just going to suggest as well that she actually just notify the police, um, not just her employers. I think, I think it is very important to notify her employers regardless of whether they act or not, um, because frankly, she, she's traveling into work and it's if it's happening near the entrance, especially to the workplace, then I, you know, they should be notified. But I would also notify the police and maybe just use her recording device as well when she is actually coming in and out of the building, just, you know, not necessarily having her phone out and visible but whatever she's using um just to have a recording of when she's entering and leaving the building um j just in case um you know just to be a bit cautious as well um but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't not act on that matter i would notify people and hopefully the fact that she's actually taken picture might mean that he doesn't turn up again um and, I mean, I've got a couple of other updates, but the last thing I'll say was because somebody mentioned the uh, question you asked last week about um, the feedback on employees if you're or colleagues. Um, just to say, there are a variety of ways in which managers deploy that little tactic. Um, we had a team away day um it was a couple of years ago and um one of the sort of games in adverted commas we were asked to do was to basically get a sheet of paper a bit, a bit of paper and um i can't remember exactly how they did it but say like it was a bit of paper and for all your colleagues you'd write one thing about them down and then put it in a tray or something with their name on it so basically every single person in the team had a tray where all of their colleagues could write one comment about them um and it was supposed to be constructive feedback um now i have a feeling because nothing is unintentional i'm sure there was it was an act of cowardice, but also an act of terrorism on behalf of, uh, on the part of um, managers. So I don't know who specifically was being targeted that day, but it was a way of, I guess, my manager or head of team avoiding giving feedback to a particular individual that they found it difficult to deal with. Um, and whether it was a uh, aimed at a white person or a non-white person I don't know I didn't feel I was particularly being targeted in that little event but um certainly nothing is done just as uh, certainly that exercise wasn't being done this fun and I you know I, my head of team is quite ca cowardly in many ways at times or, or very scheming um and it was interesting because obviously people give you feedback and I got a variety of comments including very pr I think it's something like very proud um and another comment about where's nice shoes and you know the comments just ranged from the sublime to the ridiculous I mean to be honest with you I didn't put anything down which was going to be controversial and I was, I was actually trying to be positive in the feedback but yeah just to say I mean that there's a variety of 
ways in which that little tool can be deployed. And I guess we should be mindful about the various different ways in which managers can try and use you to do what they don't want to do. I'll mute my line, Gus. Great point. Great point <laughs> from Stacy in the UK with nice shoes and excessive pride. <laughs> hmm. Uh, and I got confused. You all have to forgive me. There are so many Negras being surveilled. Uh, although our software developer in Wisconsin is also being surveilled, uh, the person who was being surveilled with this uh, race soldier just out in the parking lot, uh, that was uh, Draftomania, unless I'm in error again. But I think that was Draftomania. Uh, and contacting the police, I think that is <clears throat> a constructive way to go as well, especially since you got um photographs and the vehicle and everything I, that's that's what white people do i think i you know said that earlier that's exactly what whites do we should do the same thing uh other folks who dialed in if you have a hand up if you have either your own situation that you want to share or if you have uh commentary on what's been discussed thus far line should be open proceed folks that we missed Oops. hello can i be heard yes ma'am hi um this is helen again from new york um this is just a little experiment that i've been doing at the job um i'm civil to everybody i greet everybody i say hello good morning stuff like that. Um, when it comes to males, I say, sir. And I, what I've noticed in um, the last couple of months is that when I call non-white males, sir, most of the time they correct me and they don't want to be called sir, no matter how old they are, no matter what position they're in. Um, they could be executives, CEOs, um, you know, property managers, whatever. And they all correct me. But when I call a, a white male, sir, they never correct me. They could be 10, sometimes um, parents will bring their children in. So they'll be as young as like nine, 10 years old. And I'll say, sir, they, they never correct me, 18, 19, 20, you know, and up. And they never correct me, but the non-whites, they do correct me, and they don't want to be called sir. So that's just a little experiment that I've been doing at the job, calling everybody sir and paying attention to the non-whites who don't want to be called sir. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? That's interesting. Do you do uh, ma'am with the females? Yes, I do. Is it the same, or...? Um, when it comes to, oh, um, most women, like when they're over, what I've noticed is like when they're over, I guess about 50 or so, they, they don't have a problem with it, but the non-white, the non-white females, when I call them ma'am, sometimes they catch a little bit of an attitude, but 
not not too much. It's not like don't call me that. It's I don't know. I guess it's an age thing or whatever. Like oh, I don't want to be considered that old, or I don't want to be considered. I don't want to be looked at like your mom, so don't call me ma'am. But they don't really say. They just have a little bit of an attitude. But um, as far as the females, it's not really a problem. But the males, they they speak they speak on it and they correct me and they say, no, 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 it's okay. You can call me John or you can call me the non-white um, males. They'll correct me and say, no, it's okay. You you don't have to say, sir. Hmm. Uh, can I, ask, I, I was going to ask the question. I was going to ask the question and I think the caller just answered it. I was going to ask, uh, well, what the, what do they give me some of the names of what they would like to be called? And, uh, oh, yes, they do. Uh, well, I, I, I meant what? What do they will? Like, what do they tell you they would like to be called if they don't like sir? Oh, um, well, um, they will say their first name, or they'll say their their last name. But ninety, hundred percent, most of the time, ninety eight percent of the time, they'll say, "Oh, you could just call me John." But call them by their first name. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, the 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 code. Which I, which I believe is based on logic, it, 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 it states uh, to call the person by the name they would like to be called. So I guess that uh, follows follows under that. But the reason why I was bringing it up because I I, I use that that uh, that code also, and but but normally what I what I get even before I say address someone is sir, uh, they call. They call me all kinds of different names like uh, boss, uh, big man, uh, you know. All, I mean, which which I really don't don't like, you know, to tell you the truth, as far as they're concerned. But uh, so I, I figured if someone is calling someone big dog, uh, boss, that that would be something that they would be all right with, which which is not really all right with me to identify someone. You know, uh, in my mind, for obvious reasons, in those type of uh, names. But uh, <clears throat> interested. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. Yes. Stacy in the UK. Yeah, I was just going to say. Actually, I would imagine there are variables to how people would respond to that. If, um, and I guess you're talking specifically about the workplace. Uh, Perhaps the men would respond differently outside of work, but I would, I would, you know, my, my assessment of that is that they're probably, um, it's the conditioning. And I think, it, Gus, you had a previous guest on the show. I think her name was Alison Manswell, and she was um, in the sort of HR human resources profession, and she talked about how she would advise males in black males in the workplace, particularly to, I guess, sort of. Um, be more, I don't think she used the word effeminate, but basically, you know, don't come across as too um, dominant in the workplace. And so I would imagine that it's, it, it's a subconscious conditioning that, you know, black males in particular probably feel like, um, you know, they need to avoid being seen as, the boss, even if they are in a sort of management role. And the reverse of that, I guess, particularly for women is, I mean, that term ma'am can be taken in a variety of ways, including you are, um, 
you know, I, I guess it's a bit like the word, you know, being a black female being told they're sassy or something else, um, that it can just be perceived in a variety of ways. So I would imagine that you would get a slightly different response from females in general about that word, although I would imagine that there is a different reaction again between um, the way that black females respond and non, uh, uh, and white females respond. But, um, yeah, interesting experiment. I'll meet my line, guys. Great memory, Allison. Yes, ma'am, Draftomania. That Just wanted to say that was Allison Manswell. She was on the program in 2016. And I believe now my memory could be off, but that was an important broadcast. And I think she did use the word... <clears throat> effeminate or a derivative and i think she was reluctant to use the word i almost want to say i remember that exchange because she said she felt like she was telling black males in order to be successful uh that they have to be effeminate i think she used that word reluctantly uh with regret that that's you know basically what she mm-hmm. felt like she was having to tell them about don't be too loud don't be too aggressive don't be too prideful. <laughs> That's uh, what she was saying in the broadcast. What Allison Manswell, 2016, uh, listen, I think it was listen up or listen in. Listen in. That's the name of the book. Listen in. It's all about workplace racism. Uh, Draftomania. Um, yes. Well, I wanted to respond to the caller. Um, I used to be, uh, used to get upset when, you know, people would call me ma'am because I looked at it from the uh, vantage point of uh you know, uh, age thing, you know, um, I'm, well, I'm not, uh, you know, that old to be called a man, but now that, um, you know, I'm becoming more codified and much more clear on, um, uh, you know, racism, when you look at it from the aspect of, um, slavery, you go back to the slave mentality and how, um, these slaves were, uh, we were always taught to look at even little boys and little girls, we, we were taught to call them ma'am and sir, no matter how old they were. And whereas um, the adult black um, people were always, no matter how old they were, we were always regarded as boys and girls. And as Nellie Fuller says in this system of white supremacy, we cannot be men and women. We are still um, regarded as boys and girls. So I think it's somewhat of, of a... Uh, programming that has been left over from slavery that we just we are conditioned to not think of us ourselves as um, uh, sirs and ma'ams. I, I just think it's on some type of subconscious level because you know why would I get offended when somebody calls you know would refer to me as a ma'am or a sir? Um, I, I just think that that has a, there's a connection there, and that's I'll meet my line. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, sir, Thomas in New York. I've experienced um, similar. Um, well, I go out of my way to call horses, um, you know, Mr. or Mrs. or, you know, that's just my code. And I'm often corrected. But um, when people put themselves in a, in a position of authority over me, I'm going to always be looking back to the Mr. or Mrs. I don't care how many times they correct me. Or the sir. Now, what I've noticed is like the bosses never want to be called Mr. or Sir. Um, the owner or the top guy, you know, just call it, they want to act like. I think that's a training um, amongst men in management 
that they want to have a first name um, rapport with people. Um, it, it's sort of uh, these are your associates, not your employees. Um, that, that's the way I kind of look at it. Um, but um, interesting though. Um, but I refuse to call someone acting like my boss. If you think other than sir, Mister, or Missus, that's just not going to happen. You acting like my boss. That's how I'm treat you. Um, I was um, in the office I work at. I have um, they have these stations. They have these um, stations where you can um, stop by, you know, um, like the old the old gumball machines, but they have it filled with nuts, all different types of cashews, or a mixed nut, a variety, but not peanuts, you know, up more upscale nuts. Um, so I, I personally like to, to eat nuts. So, you know, I go through and I put the little cup under and push the thing, and they come out, you know. And so um, the lady who terrorizes me, and for some reason, I think this is just um, delectable Negro types. Here I have a cup of nuts, and I come into the office that I um, use, and she's eating the nuts out of my cup that's on my desk. And I, when I walk in, she's like, oh, you busted me. Oh, these are good nuts. So... I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, why, why, these are everywhere in the office. I mean, why would you want to touch someone else's thing? I mean, I had reached my hand in there and been eating out of it, but so either way, I threw them out. So when I came back, she says to me later, why did you throw those nuts out? You know, we don't have money to be wasted nuts. So I said, because um, you put your hands in them, and I'm not eating anything you put your hands on. I mean, that, I don't do that. She says, oh, that's nonsense, and she walked out. So um, I did get a brand-new knife um, for two or three weeks. I've been cutting the fruit with a bread knife because someone stole the knives I was supposed to be using. So after um, my cold has been when people are in the kitchen, when they walk in and act like they could reach around me and just continue with their day and make their coffee and do everything, I walk out now. I'm not going to stand in there. So what she does is she likes to have me hold stuff. Um, she buys her coffee in the morning wherever she lives, takes the trip um, to, to work, and then when she gets in the office, she wants to put her coffee in the microwave and heat it up. We heat it so it's hot. So generally in front of the microwave is where I lay out the fruit because if I put it out where people walk past, they're going to start putting their hands in it and eating it before it's time. And, you know, like I said, I, I like to have my presentation a certain way so this way no one can say anything. So what she does is she comes in, oh, my gosh, you have this stuff in front of the microwave. Here, hold this, hold this, hold this, so it stops me from doing my work. And now I'm holding stuff for a minute to, to a minute and 30 seconds while she be eating her coffee. So... I kind of get pissed off doing that. So I walk off. Now, if she walks in, I walk out. So, of course, she's noticed because now she has to uh, move this stuff and herself, you know. And she, so she, how come every time I walk in here, you walk out? So I said, because um, I don't like to, it's a real small kitchen, and when people constantly walk in and are walking behind me and reaching over me and things, I feel uncomfortable using the knife. Um, you know, using a knife 
especially since I'm using this bread knife. So this is before I got the new knife. So she says, hmm, I don't like this. I mean, you're, you're wasting time. You could be cutting your food and getting your job done so you could do other things. You know, but how am I going to be doing that if I'm holding the stuff for you? You know, so it's essentially, so what I did was I went to the computer and I sent an email to the HR lady telling her that I feel very uncomfortable with people reaching around me and over me while I'm using a sharp instrument. And I also made the complaint about um, it's been two weeks and I'm still cutting fruit with a bread knife. And this is very dangerous because it's dull and it's sharp at certain points. And I've almost cut my hand. I just added that in. So the next day I got a brand new knife. Um, last incident with this lady. Uh, and this happened in front of the head of human resources. This happened in front of the reception. This happened in front of another partner. Um, now, when I bring her her meal, like I said, she doesn't want to. I'm supposed to leave the meal on your desk and keep going, keep doing it so I can get around and get everybody their meal and get back to doing whatever else, whatever else I need to do. But she wants to stand there and pick through it, um, pick and choose what she doesn't want and what she wants. So either way, um, sometimes she's on the phone or talking to someone. So when I walk in there, she gives me the look like, don't bother me right now, come back later. So, you know, I usually come back an hour later or whatever with the stuff. Either way, um, I was busy. So, I, you know, it was hours later and I had a doctor's appointment, which they knew about. So I went to the doctor. So that took a few hours. So, so either way, when I come back from the doctor, she says, where's, your, where's my meal? I haven't seen my meal all day. So I said, oh, well, you know, you were busy. I don't want to hear that. I mean, you had all day to bring it to me, like, just now she's in front of everyone. So I bring her mail to her, and I'm about to walk away. She says, where are you going? Here, take this. So she starts handing me all the trash, the, the stuff she doesn't want. Throw this out. Throw this out. Right in front of the HR lady. HR lady looks at me like, you know, like that gives me that look like I feel so bad for you type look. But she's not correcting her because that's incorrect behavior. And, um, you know, that, that kind of um, teed me off. Um, and I'll meet my line. Thank you. The HR representative uh, probably recognized that, yeah, she's practicing white supremacy. Like, yeah. Oh, well, that happens on a pretty regular every day. I was, I was going to say daily basis, but I mean, that's that is all day long uh, system of racism, white supremacy. And it, there were so many uh, different incidents. I mean, going all the way back to the nuts situation. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, that- <laughs> uh, delectable Negro Wellsen moment. <laughs> Do- I mean, there were so many of them with the coffee, Doctor Wellsing, all the way through. But I thought of uh, delectable Negro, as Thomas in New York said. I agree with his assessment. Delectable Negro, uh, human consumption and homoeroticism in U.S. slave culture. Full title uh, of the text. Text. Very important book that we read in the book club. Two thousand. Uh, 2017, 2017. Um, <clears throat> one I more, think- Gus, one more. Talking about homoeroticism, you brought this to my mind. Now, the gentleman with the who tried to grab my crotch and zipping me up, this gentleman, um, every time I say, you know, hey, how are you today to him, he makes this um, joke that you could kind of take in a homoerotic way. I say, hey, how you feeling today, Mr. Aaron Feister? He'll say, with both hands. So I say, hmm, you know, like, okay, you know. So then finally, after all these months of working there, 
just this week he says, how come you never make any response when I say that to you? You know, you be, you know, and I say, well, I don't, you know, you say you feel it with both ears, you know. He says, you don't get the joke in that? And I said, um, no, <laughs> you know, and I walked away. But um, I thought that that was definitely a gay joke in my opinion. Mm. I would concur. <clears throat> I would concur. And uh, given his history, like, yeah, any any sort of comments like that, that might be in the workplace journal uh, for the day as well, given his perverse behavior in the job. But I think definitely with the, the nuts situation, that is, in my view, delectable Negro, uh, having a white person where they feel that sort of freedom, like, oh, yeah, I can just reach in to your plate get just be nibbling away on your food while you're not even and then she says oh you caught me red end <laughs> like come on man call I me mean, they call the police black people have been lynched for lesser things but i think that's just i think there are lots of ways oh and this is uh, with the previous caller's experiment it was mentioned i think ivy mentioned jim grimsley who was on the program how i shed my skin uh in 2016 if my memory is all right uh he and she mentioned he was talking to his black teacher and he deliberately called her by her first name. I think that's the same type of thing. Whites, they like to do things on a constant basis to flex their authority uh, and our weakness in the system. Like, oh, yeah, nigga, I'm going to come and just eat your nuts, play over your food uh, while you're gone and, and be munching on them when you get back, in fact. <laughs> and it, it goes all the way through uh, with the knife situation uh, as well, terrorizing about how the fruit is going to be cut and how much fruit is going to be there. And then uh, the whole molesting uh, that goes on when you're in the kitchen trying to get things done. And then they want to come and reach all around you and grab. I mean, the system of racism, mm-hmm. of white supremacy on display. And as I said, delectable uh, Negro, the coming in to warm up the coffee, Welsing moment right there. Old Black Joe, uh, just consumption of black people consumption of black people wasting our time consuming our energy and then uh to end the one that you originally ended with where she gives this tacky display in front of the human resources uh person i think you might have said before that this particular white woman people don't want to confront her or uh what have you she's intimidated uh everyone and just gets to terrorize the whole office uh in my view even that doesn't stand because or with the other whites that I'm talking about, because I've seen whites uh, where they have people like this and they get them in check too. like, hey, we're not going to tolerate this. We are done with Bill Cosby. We're done with R. Kelly and we're done with you, too. Like I've seen where whites, they can put their foot down and we're not going to have this. You're not going to be talking to employees like this. But no, we are all right. System of white supremacy. That nigger didn't get the watermelon straight anyway. He deserved like this. That's the world in which we live, unfortunately. And that is a big part in terms of health problems, that sort of thing. They know big impact on us having high blood pressure, hypertension, the exact health health ailments that we talked about before. That plays a huge role. In it. And, and I take the position that whites know that and they do that sort of thing deliberately for that reason. Uh, other folks that we uh, have not heard from, if you have commentary on your own situation or if you want to talk, uh, speak to some of, of what has been discussed before, uh, line should be open. Proceed. I'm, I'm sorry, Gus. I, I'd like to talk, but I'm not in the area where I could uh, speak without too much noise in the background. Um, I'll just mute my line and try to call and, and um, try to chime in um, a little after when I'm in a quieter place. 
Thank oh, you. okay. Thank you for thank you for letting us know, sir. Uh, other folks we've not heard from. If you have uh, commentary, line should be open. Can I be heard? Greetings, caller in Florida. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I'm uh, speaking about the the tampering with food, things like that. I've been meaning to share an incident on that because I have a few that I want to share right now. Uh, to start out with that one, the context is like I had to take the passports to the post office, and it was one of my first few times doing this. So we're supposed to clock out at like 5 o'clock. So I got back a little late, the clock back out, or the clock out to go home. And they they were having like the the uh, the white people, the, uh, some of the top white people were having, a, I guess, some kind of a chat or they were just standing talking, I guess, waiting for me to come back. And it's this box on the table, okay, with, uh, I guess they were some kind of gourmet cupcakes. And it was one left, and it was an Oreo. It was an Oreo cupcake. Or they may call it cookies and cream. Um, I might, like, I thought of that as a Wilson moment, too. Because, you know, it was chocolate. And it was offering it to me. One of me said, yeah, go ahead and... uh." Go ahead and take this home. So I threw it right in the trash. That's exactly what I did because I just I just didn't trust eating it. Um, the the second the second incident was uh, there was two couples that there were two uh, black females, my coworkers, in the department. They were discuss, they were discussing what people put down in their race and the the lady who conducts the marriage license sessions uh, she was saying hey this is the second this is the second couple to come in today where the person um looked like they were black but they (laughs) they were saying that they were the, the term is hispanic and white but the the second couple said that she didn't want to put down that she was white herself because her mom would get upset with her. And they are looking at her like she is white, but her mom would get angry that she puts down that she's white. And she, okay, see, because this is confusion because uh, the the black female is saying, well, to me, she looked uh, quote unquote biracial. And the other black female says she looked white, and then the guy looked Hispanic, okay? And the female is saying, no, I'm not going to put down that I'm, that I'm white. You know, my, my mom wasn't like that, so she didn't say who her mom was. Uh, and another thing I wanted to share on that is I spotted that it's a white slash black uh, uh, option you can check. And it says black slash white. So uh, it's it's two of the same words. It's one goes first, like black will go first and white will go first. So it's white, black, and then black, white. So I, I don't know what the difference is with that. I've been meaning to ask my supervisor about this, and I feel comfortable enough to do it. 
uh, and the the next incident was there was there's this commercial down here in Florida. I don't know if this playing anywhere else where because I saw this in the break room and the new uh, non-white female employee. Um, I do not. I don't think she's classified as black. Uh, we were watching this commercial, and I believe it's about like driving under the influence, not necessarily of uh, alcohol. It can be like, um, I guess, what cannabis or whatnot. And the person, it's it's at least two or three different ones. The person who is, I guess, the subject of the commercial, like that's supposed to be driving a uh, under the influence, this is a white person, and the authoritative figure, the um, enforcement officer, they, they are portraying this as a black male in both commercials. So I kind of figured this person was going to try to mention something about it. And the slogan of the commercial is, drive baked, get busted. B-A-K-E-D, like baked, and like that. I know that term roasted was used in the, um, in one of the audio segments. So the the the, uh, the female, she was like, oh, of course, like, they would, they would use the, the black guy stopping a white person. What if it was the other way around or whatever? And I think this person might be, uh, unfortunately, uh, sexually involved with a, a white man. So that could be uh, heavily influencing her mind okay and so i asked why why is it called why is the word bait being used for saying that somebody is under the influence and they you know have impaired judgment and she agreed with me said you know that does sound strange because you're supposed to that word baked is when you're when you're cooking something and you know something gets darker or something and she agreed with me on that and I wanted to share that on the program. That term baked was used in this commercial. I don't know. It might be on YouTube or something. Um, and that's the only thing that I have to share right now. And thanks for allowing me to speak. Well, I got in two hearty laughs. I needed it. I did not have a pleasant yoga class this morning. And when you do early morning yoga and it's unpleasant at six in the morning, Woof, that is an unpleasant way to start the day. But I got two hearty, robust bouts of laughter uh, with Thomas's nuts being fondled in New York. Ha ha ha. And our caller in Florida. That is extra clown. And that's worse than the nuts, in my opinion. On a serious, this is at the courthouse. My man does not work at Dairy Queen or, you know, Carl Jr.'s. This is at the courthouse down in Florida. You got serious documentation, people coming in to get licenses and serious court papers and what have you. What's your racial classification? Black hyphen white or white hyphen black? That is clowning like Richard Pryor has nothing on that. And I would like somebody to come in if you get explanation on that. Now, what is the difference? Megan Markle comes in here. Is she black dash white? White dash black. 
President Obama comes in here. Which box? Does, can you check both boxes? Clowning. Like you just throw, they just go in and make up anything. Like, yes, put more up, more, more. They'll come back and then they'll probably do the Hispanic, white, black, non-Hispanic, white. But they'll just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And the confusion, confusion is lethal. That is amazing. If you get any clarification on that one, let us know, or at least let me know. I would be very eager. Um, Can I comment on that, Gus? Yes, sir. Oh, man, I was, when I see a beat, um, I think um, marijuana smoke. Um, they had the classic movie Half Baked, um, which was all about uh, marijuana smoke. It's usually one that goes hand in hand. And um, what my question would be is, if, if he does, if they asked in the meeting or told, how are they going to tell if these people are baked or not? What is their criteria? Do they have to have something lit in the car for them to make that assessment? Or are they going to have some type of weedalyzer test or some other heroinalyzer test? Like, how are they going to be able to know this? Um, is uh, if they if he watched the the show? I wanted to just was um, he watched the documentary. I just was curious. Of what type of techniques are they going to use to catch people who are baked? You know, with driving, you know, when you're drinking, you, they could pull you over, they give you the breathalyzer, and that, that's been um, pretty accurate. Courts accept it as uh, accurate, and they make judgments based on it. So I would love to know what new apparatuses they have. But also with the white and black, black and white, uh, I think that the majority of black people who have a white mother will check white and black, and the majority of black people who have a black mother would check black and white. Um, and I've also seen us um, black, non-Hispanic, no, Hispanic, non -Hispanic, non-white Hispanic, um, um, and non-black Hispanic on um, those type of forms. Oh, I've seen those too. I'm just, I'm postulating that the new one will be non-white, black, hyphen, white. And then, you know, they can just keep adding, you know, the permutations abound when you just get to add slop on top of slop. Uh, and the bake that did, that was Dave Chappelle, uh, his coming out half baked and unless I'm in error. But, yeah, I thought that was uh, outstanding as well. Just really paying attention to the, the use of words. I think I feel like I might have seen that commercial, but then I'm not sure. I feel like I need to see it one more time to make sure that, yes, that's the commercial that I'm I'm thinking of. Uh, I'll look to see if they have it on YouTube since that's a PSA. It's so short. It's probably. Uh, online, but definitely paying attention to the use of words and how consistently black or things being darkened is associated with something vile, criminal, mischievous, to be avoided. It's rife uh, throughout the system of, of white supremacy racism. Uh, appreciate the commentary in Florida. Yes. Stacy in the UK. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. I was just going to, uh, just a couple of points um, on the. Um the sorry uh the person from the florida courthouse and the class the racial classifications i'm just wondering but building on what um thomas just said actually because nothing is accidental i'm wondering if it is a way of assessing beyond the obvious about how people classify themselves as to how confused they are and how that information gets used do you um, because you have a white parent, a white mother in specifically, 
see yourself as white black and then vice versa i think that's actually quite an important point and because you you have to wonder where why all of this information and is being collated and why all of those classifications and it doesn't need to be that complicated so um in fact you know i you know unless there's some real research going on you know it, it just doesn't make any sense to especially for every single organization to have so many different variable variables as to why um they would ask such information so I, yeah i um i guess it's a my question is is that a way of assessing the level of confusion amongst the population um and then also thomas i had a couple of questions for thomas actually because in his um feedback and uh, it just sounds like a complete and utter nightmare um the, the what he's dealing with but i've seemed to recall a few programs back he mentioned that someone in hr had approached him about the way in which this uh, uh, female is terrorizing him. And I just wondered if there was any follow-up to that. And I know he mentioned the delectable Negro, but does he actually think there is a sexual component to what she's doing beyond just the random acts of um, racist terrorism? Because she just seems fixated with him beyond even well I guess anything that I've really experienced in terms of terrorism in the workplace but I'll meet my line girls Thomas in New York did you or if you're in a spot where you can answer um, yes um, to the latter question I don't think there's a sexual component even though anything could be possible with uh, if, it, if it, she's not bothering me and I leave She's bothering someone else, so it's not just me. Um, the um, reason why I mentioned the book Delectable Negro because I didn't take all forms of consumption as being sexual. Um, just consuming, slowly consuming you, they're eating you alive. Like um, uh, it's, it's just, it's just a like Gus said. Um, you feel the the comfort the comfort to just reach be on someone else's desk eating their nuts like it, it's just nothing to you it's it's just um i can just 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 knowing that they can do it is, is what they're getting off by because i couldn't do that to her um uh, what was the first question i'm sorry yeah and um i was about the hr response because i seem to recall you had said I told you, uh, I think I mentioned on one of the shows, um, I heard her chewing out the HR lady one day while I was in the HR lady's office. So I was under the assumption that this lady is, doesn't have as much authority as the lady who's bothering me. And um, so I, I decided to be codified and not mention it yet. You know, it, it, it's obvious. That's why she's asking. You know, she's pretty much asking me, do you have a problem with the way you're being treated? And um, being that I'm new there, I, I just say, no, you know, listen, I, I could accept it. I'll do what I have to do to keep this job. So that's been my, my way of going about it. But that's why I mentioned um, during this week, the HR lady was standing there as she's opening envelopes, handing me the empty envelope. 
keep in the mail telling me, you know, this is trash, this is trash, and she did nothing. Um, also, um, the guy who job I, uh, whose position I took, who's been promoted, and uh, he does my job if I'm not there still. But um, he, um, he told me that if you go to the HR lady, things will change for about two weeks, and then it'll get worse because he's experienced that himself. So he told me, don't do it. Context of white supremacy. White women do it better. Uh, other folks. Can I be heard? <clears throat> uh, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, sorry about earlier. I was uh, just in a loud area. Um, greetings to the hosts, uh, greetings to the listeners and the callers. Um, just a quick tidbit. I did have an interesting situation um, recently at work where a client, an executive that I, I tend to uh, work with all of his devices, mobile devices and things of that nature, he saw me in the elevator banks, opened up the door, and this is a white male, um, and when he saw me, he opened up his arms and said, come here, give me a hug. Now, I don't, I don't know anything about him outside of the work that I do for him. And I don't think I've let up on any kind of um, hinting that me and him have some kind of rapport. I don't, I barely, like I said, I barely know him. But as he approached me, he's saying, come on, come on, give me a hug. And I go, get away from me. And I put my hands up as to stop him to create the distance. And he's like, no, no. And he still keeps on cringing until finally where literally he comes close to my hand. He realizes that I'm very serious. And I go, no, no, it's not going to happen. Um, he stops at that moment, turns around, and he goes, oh, okay, okay. Is everything all right? And as if nothing happened, as if he didn't try to invade my space and infringe on me. And I just found it extremely odd. Um, after that, I told um, a few women that were in the office, mainly black women, I asked them in regards to this, like, has he ever done this before or approached them in some weird fashion? And they told me that he basically studies uh, philosophy, Greek philosophy. That's his main background. And he tends to be very creepy around them, um, creeping over their shoulders and their cubicle, getting a little bit too close and touchy and feely. So there's something <laughs> inherently wrong with him. Um, I mean, obviously, I guess I think he feels like he has the right to do that, but I've been keeping my distance. And, and once I heard this, I kind of had an inkling as to what some of those issues may be. But, um, anyway, I'll, I'll move my line. That's pretty much all I had to share for, uh, this week. Thank you. Black self-respect, uh, just the importance of being serious. Uh, that right there, I think I talked about that earlier in the program, uh, the importance of having a code. You have a plan. These types of things could happen. When I started in the workforce, I did not have a notion at all that, yes, as a black male, you will need a counter-racist code for females and males, white men and white women potentially sexually assaulting you in the workplace. I did not have that in my thought process at all. That right there puts you at a disadvantage when you're thinking 
any of these whites, the men, the women, any of them might be trying to do something sexually uh, perverted, anything, say something, I need to be prepared, this is what I'm going to do, move away, bam, the hand, no, no touching, no hug, nothing, serious, serious, this is not a joke, I am not laughing, this is serious business, and I am serious about my uh, space and people not violating my space in the workplace. I uh, have recommended consistently, if you start a job, you should ask questions uh, about that, their policy about unwanted touching uh, in the workplace, uh, just because that sends a signal up immediately that you are serious uh, about this. And then you get to hear how they explain it, what they say, so you get to already kind of feel them out too. But outstanding work. And that's just so tacky for them to try to explain on this day. This day and time, we're not going to put up with that rubbish from Morgan Freeman, Bill Cosby, R. Kelly, or anybody else to say, oh, well, he just, he studied philosophy. That's just, you know, how he is. He's creepy, creepy. We're going to tolerate a white person being creepy in the words of Trayvon Martin in this day and age? No, absolutely not. Not at all. I would document. I would want that written down. And uh, I, I think we've had people, Emmy, among them who have told whites uh, that they did something like that, they came up and grabbed them or attempted to hug them or whatever it is, uh, came up and just re-emphasized the following day, hey, that is really inappropriate. Do not do that ever again in the workplace or whatever, however you want to uh, phrase it, just the seriousness of this is my space. I am not going to be violated. Don't think this is going to be a pattern repetitive this goes for today and forever about my space in the workplace not saying you know to do that or what have you i just know that folks have done that before just to kind of highlight the seriousness of the uh, situation the infraction uh if we out of fact before we get to other folks who dialed in we had a listener who wrote in she said she had a question uh, she says, I have a question for all the callers who work jobs dealing with any form of application processing, mortgage, credit card, insurance claims, etc. If your place of employment takes forever to process, approve or deny these applications, is it because the white person in charge approving it is too busy lollygagging? That's my word to do their work. Or is it because it's just that verification that the verification process is that long? I'm just curious because I know for a fact my job, the reason why everything is slow is because the whites in charge are lazy. My workplace racism issue is I just noticed after listening to a previous broadcast, every time I request paid time off, I am immediately discouraged from taking it by my white boss. I mentioned that at the beginning of the program. She literally harasses me and tries to intimidate me into quitting or subliminally tries to insinuate I will get fired for taking PTO, workplace terrorism, right? And that's time theft, in my opinion. Uh, my white coworkers are allowed to take unpaid time for weeks, and she congratulates them. Me being gone does not stop the workflow, but my white coworkers who leave can literally delay a person's claim. I work in insurance for weeks. Today, my white boss starts talking to another black employee about me taking one day of PTO and how it's so ridiculous, etc., while at the same time trying to get this black employee to cover for another white employee who will be gone for weeks. 
this white employee doesn't even work in our office. She works in another office, the one I like to call the no black people allowed office because there isn't anywhere there is adequate coverage. But since our office has a few black people, we are expected to immediately do their work and come to their rescue. My boss is in a tragic arrangement and is one of the most vile, disgusting racists you will ever meet since she, I'm guessing, learned how to become the super expert in refined racism from her husband. Ick all the way. So the question, people that are in uh, work with any sort of application processing, uh, does it take a long time because the process is lengthy or does it take a long time because the whites are lollygagging? That was her question for people that are in some form uh, of processing. Uh, did we have any folks who wanted to respond to that one? I have to say lollygagging. Um, I would even say um, in places where um, you have to wait for some type of verification and the computer's doing it. They put slower, com slower computers in the black communities that do that. I mean, it's, it's just what they do. So I would say lollygagging, and I would say it's done intentionally. Let's see if we have any other folks who, who do any sort of processing, application processing, if they want to respond, uh, as we also nab folks that we may have missed completely. Uh, Emmy, are you with us? Did you have commentary you wanted to share? Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Um, I did have a couple of things that I was thinking about that I'm hoping might be helpful to other folks that have been helpful to me. First, I wanted to clarify and be specific. I remember maybe a few broadcasts ago, I was sharing an anecdote about a floater white female pharmacist who essentially committed insurance fraud. And I think we might have made a joke saying that I was snitching. I just wanted to be clear that snitching is when, as far as I understand, because I actually was going over this um, in Mr. Fuller's work, is when you're saying something for personal gain. I actually was not snitching. Um, I'm totally cool with the back and forth banter and joking and whatnot, but just to be clear if anyone's like listening to the things that I'm saying and, you know, but um, that snitching is for personal gain. Uh, and I didn't get any personal gain from that. I just didn't want to be held responsible for her incorrect behavior and, uh, and have been told that um, I allowed or condoned this insurance fraud, even though she's above me. So I just wanted to share that to clarify. Another point, I wanted to share an anecdote from today. I was uh, at the pharmacy and I'm so grateful for having a code. I'm so grateful for even knowing about codification and trying to become more codified. And uh, I'm still reading, but also rereading certain parts of the, of the text, uh, Mr. Fuller's work that is. And I was at the drive-through and this white female came in and she's all tatted and whatnot, Welsing moment. And I think she's high. What she's high on, I'm not so sure. Um, I couldn't really recognize her high, but I think she's high. And she has, uh, I think her daughter in the back. And she comes to pick up a prescription that's not ready because 
the person that she was picking up for, I'm assuming her child, um, hadn't filled with us before. So we made a, a temporary profile, but it didn't have all of the information. Getting to the point, we needed her insurance information. While I'm explaining this and, um, you know, getting the insurance information, she attempted on several occasions to have a very nasty attitude, but it was real slick how she did it because it wasn't so blatant that, you know, you would just be affronted by her, her slick attitude. It was so slick as though she was trying to coax something out of me to, ha to make me react to her so that now we could both have this nasty attitude. So uh, my code is to be very professional at all times. I think that's probably everybody's code at work, but it's definitely one that I work on, one that I'm uh, even priding myself on a little bit that, you know, at, at my job, I do not treat anyone better or anything like that in healthcare, you know. I just, I provide the same information to everybody. Um, with the exception, I do give more to the non-white people in terms of like my energy and maybe compliments or talking to their children or entertaining their stories, that I do. But in the basis of what is required when you meet me at the pharmacy, everyone's going to get. So I will try to, you know, work out the insurance problems and we'll try to give you a nice discount, like a discount card that is constructive or bringing down the price anyway. But I noticed it. And so the first couple of times I thought it was so interesting. I was like, she's really, she's trying me. But I, I watched it, I watched it from a very codified place that it was humorous almost. Because, <laughs> really? So, um, so then it got to the point that, and, and all, all the errors that are occurring, the difficulty in getting this thing accomplished are her fault. She's giving an insurance card from 2011, so the processor is different. She then hands me the wrong insurance card, and I tell her the name on it is incorrect, and she's like, well, I have, like, literally, I have my, like, all this attitude. And I said, well, you can just look at it. Like, ain't nothing I can do about it with the wrong name, so what she want to do? So she looks at it, and then she gets bashful and, you know, hands me the thing. Anyway, of course, the pharmacist and I, we work it out, and, you know, continue moving, but I mentioned it was so obvious her trying to bait me into this negative space with her that I was like, I don't know, like I had, you know, I muted the mic and I was like, I don't know why she's doing it. And the pharmacist was like, I know, I don't get it. Even he noted from all the way over there that every time she opened her mouth, it was so attitudinal. But Getting to the code, the code is number one. When I repeat the same thing over and over at my job to various people, I don't get hiccups about explaining something to someone who's trying to bait me into an argument or bait me into a negative space with them. The professionalism remains no matter what. I've practiced that, um, especially at this job at this time, and it's super helpful. Um, and, and definitely reading the code, I think, is probably what I'd like to stress with the vignette, with this particular antidote or vignette of today's experience uh, at work. Because every time that you read it or go over things or even just flip through the quotes in the back, something will stick and can be helpful the very next time that you have to be at your workplace. Um, and then the last two things I wanted to say is I, I, you cannot dress your way out of racism. You cannot 
talk your way out of racism, white supremacy, or being a victim of it. I do, however, think that, and I have experimented and noticed a difference, that when I present a certain way, it establishes, like, I guess, an aura around me and allows me to stay more codified. Not necessarily that it makes anyone else treat me better, but because of the way that I've gotten myself together today, the way that I'm presenting this information or relaying whatever it is I'm trying to relay, that, for instance, this tacky, terroristic, you know, white female who tried me was unable to pull me out of the environment, the internal or environment, I guess, that I set for myself. So I don't know how you go about it. Um, I like to do it with my dress. I like, you know, or anything like that or whatever, like just create it and see if it works for you if you haven't already. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is sometimes it's hard to be confrontational uh, or to confront someone who's aggressing you, um, at least for myself. And so some things are so blatant that you, you just, you confront it because it's like, ah, I can't tolerate that for a second. But some of the ones that are a little bit more subtle can sometimes be a little bit more difficult to maneuver around. And so one thing that I've been practicing is being, it's a, it's a type of a banter, but I'm serious and understanding that this banter will not, this will not be the norm, but this is giving me a, like I can kind of be a little bit more comfortable by saying, oh, I'm not cool with that. Or like, no, you actually are getting on my nerves, you know, or something like that um, to where I'm not holding it in. And now all this energy is building up in me. And then I start shaking, looking like a crazy person. So I let it out kind of like in a joke or like in a little bit of a banter. And that makes me a little bit more comfortable to say certain things than to just not say anything at all. And so I feel a little bit more comfortable to be like, no, I actually don't really like that and make it stick. So I don't know if that's really codified in other people's opinion or not, but it is something that, um, that is working for me right now. I will follow up and let you all know if it really works in the future, but it's working now. And then I forgot to tell you one little part about when the floater racist white woman, racist suspect white woman came and worked at the pharmacy. She actually looked me in my face and repeated over and over and over again, because she wanted to find out what I'm doing with my life. And she wanted to repeat over and over again that I was eloquent and articulate and I should do something with that. And I just thought it was the most hilarious thing, but I think I, for, I neglected to mention that. But again, I, if I practice nothing about my code, I practice not reacting and not being emotional about things. Um, and that has helped me tremendously. So anyway, I hope some of what I said has been helpful and I thank you all for listening. Indeed. Indeed. Controlling, managing emotions. That's been said a few times. That is critical aspect of counter racist codification. In my opinion, I said consistently, if you, if we cannot manage our emotions, not just in the workplace context, but beyond, if we can't do that, then you can basically throw the rest of the codification out because that's, that is the key, uh, being able to manage emotions, work from logic, solve problems without creating new problems, make accurate assessments of what's happening so you can figure out what is best to do, <clears throat> being able to keep your emotions in check, not ignoring them, but just 
not allowing your emotions to dominate how you're going to think, speak, and act, especially when you're dealing with whites, non-whites too, but especially race soldiers. Always appreciate definitions uh, and clarifying what we mean when we say snitch on the broadcast. Fantastic. I'm not sure if attitudinal is in the word guy, but uh, it did get used on the broadcast. Other folks that we have not heard from at all, uh, caller 7892, if you have commentary you wanted to share, you should be with us. Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Gus. Um, I I wasn't sure if uh, maybe you could just clarify my understanding of the conference system. So uh, once I hear when I initially call in and hit pound or star six one, I'm not unmuted until um, I don't know if it's automatically the prompt that says that I'm unmuted or if you have to unmute. But I didn't. Sorry if I um, misunderstood and. and contacted you prematurely about not being heard not a problem before okay (laughs) sorry okay um i'm i called in last week uh about the um the anonymous person at the liberal organization and uh i was just calling to give a quick update um a few may have been over a month ago i initially had first written into the show about the black uh, the Black per- People's Group at my job. So I wanted to give a quick update on that and a couple of the anecdotes. Um, so the group organized meetings um, with different um, departments, um, human resources, and other departments um, to discuss issues specific to African Americans internally and externally. Um, and what was interesting about it was when uh, we wanted to discuss um, the financial piece with the CFO and the CEO, and they requested more information about the um, mortgage loan numbers, and um, that ruffled a lot of feathers. So the um, human resources department heads met with us, and there was another group, I forgot, they all met with us, those meetings were fine. Um, and the uh, CFO initially, his initial response to the, the email was to deflect um, and say that he thought it would be a great conversation, but he wanted to include all groups, all people. Um, And so the group pushed back on that. Um, And what happened was behind the scenes, apparently some of the other um, higher ups that have a closer relationship to the CEO said that he actually approached some of them and he was upset. Um, They got very defensive because the mortgage numbers are low as they're aware that redlining is coming back. Um, And they're, you know, you know, don't want to share, you know, the paperwork. They don't, they're trying to hide the information. Um, so what happened after that was they put together a presentation at our uh, follow-up staff meeting where the CEO presented um, a, a segment on, you know, African-American impact in general. And he showed a video from the 1980s, I'm not kidding, literally a 30-plus-year-old literally video of a, uh, a homeowner, a woman that got a mortgage loan from the, you know, from the company. Um, you know, she was giving some kind of thank you speech, et cetera. And then he went on to the rest of his presentation discussing the other data and um, focused on what they call the secondary market. So they're not really giving out 
mortgage loans to African Americans, but they're buying up other loans from other companies in the secondary market and using that to bolster numbers or saying like, this is our impact for black home ownership. Um, so that frustrated a lot of people in the group and there was a lot of, you know, eyes, eye rolling and things like that. Um, and one of the other interesting things that I noticed was after the meeting, when we were getting onto the elevators, um, the, it was a white female that had put together um, the data for the report and she was getting a lot of congratulatory um, pats on the back from other white coworkers. Like someone told her, because um, we all got into the elevator at the same time, someone said to her, that must have been a lot of work. And, you know, she just, she looked like, you know, she just, she just was pro projecting this energy that was a burden and that was, you know, just so much work that she had to do to, you know, get this information to these black people, et cetera. Um, so the group has decided to, um, they're taking some of the meetings off-site and they want to meet with the CEO off-site. Um, and so they're organizing um, around that and they're asking for volunteers to uh, put together. They want to, they think the best way to approach him with um, issues um, and suggestions for implementing some of the changes, you know, related to, you know, supporting African-American customers externally and like internal things with staff development is to create a document. Um, so they want uh, volunteers to work on that. And then there's going to be an offsite meeting to meet with them. So after the experience I've been dealing with um, in my own role in my department, I told them that I'm just going to step back from that because um, I, you know, have to focus on other things, but I can support, but I'm no longer going to be involved in um, that initiative that they're working on. But I just thought the way that they uh, played it was very interesting. Um, another, a few other anecdotes, um, there was a, a director of our admin services who recently left the company um, and they did some very underhanded stuff with him. So he, he was the director of admin services, so they handle like travel, logistics, supply. Um, and I think he in initiated um, a supplier diversity program. And this was something that they were talking about when I first started at the end of last year. Um, I, so he put together, I think, a whole program and initiative. I think he got, you know, was getting a lot of positive support for it. Um, and there was an understanding that, um, you know, they were going to uh, – set up the program and he was going to transition into that role and become the head of supplier diversity or some kind of new role. So what they did, and this is someone, he'd been with the company for about 10 years. Um, he was promoted. He started, I think he may have started a, a lower position, um, very, very professional black male, always wore suits, um, things like that. Um, so I think he did all this work to put together this program, you know, mm -hmm. and what they did was they just, they decided um, when they, I think they still have to announce the jobs, the position. So they um, announced the position internally and externally and come to find out they, they made it part-time. So it was only 20 hours a week. So if he did take on the position, he would be, you know, probably take some kind of salary cut. So they completely undermined him. Um, and he, he left at the end of March um, so it was just, that was a really insightful moment to me about how, how slick these people are. Um, and so I found out at the last meeting, uh, the black group meeting, the black folks meeting that we had this past week that 
they did meet with the CEO about the supplier, the status of the supplier diversity program. And um, he said that the decision to make it part-time was his, like he made that decision that came directly from him and that he was, they were going to select um, two individuals, two team leads or supervisors to um, take on the program. So they aren't, they weren't going to do a traditional, um, you know, employee application process. They're going to handpick folks. We don't know, you know, who they're going to pick, if it's going to be a black person or a white person. And he's changing it from the supplier diversity program to the supplier. He changed the name from supplier diversity to supplier inclusion. So that, that was interesting. Very nasty. Um, other things that have happened. Um, another interesting thing that happened that I thought was very intrusive at a, a conference call, at a meeting in a conference room, I was setting, like setting up the, the go-to meeting conference line and everything. And my phone, I had my phone with me and I happened to be listening to uh, playbacks of the cows. Um, but the screen was locked. It was, you know, it um, was in sleep mode. So the screen was black. It was sitting on the table and a white male coworker walked up and he touched the home screen of my phone. He said, he said, whose phone is this? And he just touched the home screen. And I, you know, kind of moved quickly to grab it so he couldn't see, like, the cow's title scrolling across, you know. Um, and uh, he knew what he did was wrong because he saw my reaction. I was, I was, as I was moving quickly to grab my phone, he kind of said, oh, don't grab my phone. Like, he, he you know, he imitated what he thought the, you know, my inner dialogue was. Um, I've never seen anyone do that. Just go like he specifically touched my phone because he wanted to see what was on it. And so I thought that was very intrusive. Um, never seen anyone do anything that invasive. This is an IT person as well. And he has contacted me a, a few times about, um, you know, websites I've visited being um, uh, pinging them as a possible, but, you know, um, you know, a virus or they've gotten some kind of alert that there was an issue. I don't, I only, I only do work-related um, searching and everything on my PC and things, but I know that he's been, you know, he's monitoring me or he, he gets um, alerts about me. Another interesting thing that happened is, okay, so I did a community service um, event uh, with some of my coworkers. Uh, for um, Habitat for Humanity. And um, when we were on the construction site, uh, the uh, representative from Habitat, a uh, white male, probably in about his 30s, I think we were having some kind of discussion about the weather. The weather was really uh, warm and sunny, and then it rained period, uh, briefly, and then the sun came back out. So we were kind of going inside and outside to accommodate what the weather conditions were. And someone made a comment about being happy that it, the sun was back out and it's bright and shiny. And he said, I like, I like the weather cold and dark like my soul. And he said it kind of casually as a joke. So I thought that was interesting. I just noted that. Um, also, I do um, side jobs like freelance work on the side. Um, and a white male that I regularly work with, he's also like a freelance filmmaker, He's very vulgar. He does um, a lot of like vulgar type slapstick comedy that, you know, deals with like, you know, body fluids, that type of kind of disgusting type stuff. 
we were at a a broadcast. Um, he's very cynical. He likes to talk trash about people. Uh, we were at a broadcast for an event, and um, this is this is an event he regularly works, so he's familiar with some of the individuals that they're, you know, um, you know, at in, it's a council meeting, so he's familiar with some of the personalities because he attends it regularly to shoot. Um, so he pointed out one of the members um, as being, uh, you know, he does. I guess he thinks the person is a, uh, you know, I guess an asshole is what he would say. But he was like, he he pointed to the guy and he was like, see this guy here? He told me that um, he's a, um, the word he used was, um, he said, that guy's a cock bag. And then he, the um, town mayor, he referred to him, he said, that guy's a cock bag. He said, I hope that the mayor pisses on him to show uh his domination or to, to express domination over him so i thought that was interesting because i thought about the nelson mandela thing and that type of behavior um and the another thing that happened and this is what i would like the uh, other listeners to maybe give feedback on or insight um there was i had an issue with a black male co-worker um early on when i first started so um he was a producer for one of the videos that we shot and there there's a lot of confusion about roles and who's doing what but when i came on i took on um some of the the workload for editing and so he 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 sent an email initially to clarify who was going to do what and he got a response from the project manager um but he i think he i don't know if he's just was having problems adjusting to the change in structure because he'd done a video previously and it was just completely independent, but they brought other people in as they decided to expand the project and do an entire series. Um, he's a bit older. He's in his maybe late forties going into his fifties. And uh, what happened was we set up a meeting to go through um, a lot of the B roll so he could select what he wanted to use in the final um, cut of the film. But, before that, he just kept asking me the same question over and over again um, about, so what he wanted to know what the editor, the person who we were going to hand over all the files to was going to need. He was like, so what is, we had a meeting with her earlier that day. He wanted to know what she needed. And that, that had already been answered in the email. And I told him again, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to organize all the files. We're going to select what we want her to use in the final cut. And then I'm going to give it to her. And he was like, he said, well, is she going to want that today? And, and I was explaining to him, I don't know um, what she's going to specifically ask for, but this is what we have to do to prepare, you know, for her to have what she needs anyway. So we had a meeting to go through the B-roll. So then we sat down to do that, and he wanted to immediately start, for me to start doing the assembly cut. And that wasn't something that he needed to sit there for. Um, and so I told him, well, we... It would be, I'm not prepared to do that right now. Like he, I, I showed him, I showed him an initially, like I did, I did like two clips for him just to show him, you know, how it was done. And then what he did was after he kind of pulled me into that, he started pushing. He was like, well, no, let's finish that. Let's finish that. And I felt very uncomfortable. He started kind of being pushy and assertive. This took, this meeting took place in my office. So he was sitting 
right next to me, to the left of me at my desk, and we're working on the computer. Um, and so I said, well, um, I'm not, pre- you know, I'm not prepared to do that right now. Also, my the because the system that I have doesn't, I don't have the technology that I need. Sometimes my computer freezes, and um, it just wasn't productive or efficient for him to sit there for me to and, and watch me do that um, because he didn't. I didn't need him to direct me to, you know, line up all the, the clips in the sequence. I needed him to tell me what B-roll he wanted me to, you know, we were going to use. Um, and so he kept, he kept pushing me. And so what happened was I started to do some of it and he started to micromanage everything I did. So I play, I'm playing a clip and I'm selecting um, uh, um, a sequence to a script. So I have to play the video to find out where the, the dialogue is that they want to use and pull it so I can hear the audio. And what he was doing was as soon as that line came up, he would say, okay, there it is. That's it. So he was just completely micromanaging me. He was really, um, you know, close, like pushing my, my personal boundaries, like that, you know, 18 inch diameter that they say, you know, kind of a human personal boundary that we have um, for comfort. Um, So I kind of, I stopped and I said, um, I, I'm, we're not going to do this now. Let's. It will be better if we do the B-roll. And I try to kind of rationalize with them because B-roll is going to take a lot longer. Um, and he he got upset and he was just like, no, let's do, you know, the rough cut now. And so I just said no. And so he got up and left. And it was just a very uncomfortable situation. I almost started, you know, getting nerves and shaking. And I'm just like, what is this problem? Um, so I took a few breaths. And I walked into his office, which is actually right next to mine. And I said, you know, said his name, said, what's the problem? And he said, the problem is you refuse to do the rough cut. And I said, Anthony, I said, I'm not refusing to do it, but I, it's, this is not, it's not the best time to do it now. I said, I told him initially that we can reschedule it for later in the afternoon after the meeting with Carol. But the more important thing for the moment was to um, have the B-roll selected for her. Um, so, um, I, he didn't say anything and I left and he sent an email. He copied me, um, but he sent an email to my director informing her that I was, um, he said that he had a, a problem. Um, he said, Stephanie, he said, I told him that he doesn't have any authority over me. So he needs clarification about who's in charge of the project. So what he was what he was asserting when he was pushing me to do one task over the other was that he had um, he was like and do I have the authority over this as the producer or not and I and I said I told him you don't have authority over my um, you know point by point task and like when and how I do it that's not the type of dynamic that set up like you're not telling me you're doing this at eight at ten this and that. Um, but he, you know, he framed it like I told him, you know, like I was trying to take over the project. And I guess maybe that's how he interpreted my presence or my existence there <laughs> in general. Um, so we, you know, she came over and we kind of talked it out. Um, and he he just felt like um, his, if his could overall get feedback to was like, I a conclusion so that folks could give feedback. Okay. Okay, so the basically that I mean I just don't know where that was coming from. I, I I'm just curious as to why um, he was behaving that way, and then why he went and told on me 
Um, and a, a, a follow-up incident to that was he wanted to come in and scan some documents, and that was at the scanners attached to my computer, so I have to be at my computer to do that. And that's something that people just hand off to me and I normally do. And he came into the office and he wanted to do it. And like, he put the items on the scanner. He held them down there. Like he leaned over my desk uh, onto my desk and put his elbows on my desk, like right next, his face was almost right next to mine as I was sitting there. And that was something he did after that incident a few weeks later, I think. To so what is it that you, you would like, like listeners to kind of give like how to minimize conflict or how you should, uh, deal with this. Well, I, I maybe maybe the men can to explain to me like what happened there with him. Um, I I didn't like I because he called the director. I told I told her that one of the reasons I reacted that way to him was because I felt uncomfortable, and he you know he and then he got upset about that. And I said I'm no way implying any kind of inappropriate behavior or anything like that. But um, I just. I, I don't know what the, the deal is with him, like why he he was, you know, you know, expressing his dominance and acting that way. And that's hmm. it. I'll, I'll mute my line. Thank you. For sure. Question: would, would she have done the same thing if it was a white male? Well, who have done what? If a white male came in and tried to micromanage you and stand over you, would you have um, told him, no, you're not doing this? Um, would you have had that same response? Yes. Yes. All right. Yes, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I didn't tell him no. I was, you know, telling him that we, we had scheduled the meeting to do something else. And... Um, just weren't going to do it at that exact moment. Um, right. Uh, as a, as a male, uh, I think number one, the anti-blackness, I think the entire known universe has been conditioned to be very uh, resistant to competent black people, black people that even appear like they might be uh, in charge of something or know how to, have some expertise in an area that we don't. I think everybody, whites, non-whites, uh, can be a little unruly with that prospect. Uh, maybe that had an impact. Maybe it didn't um, in terms of, you know, what the way that he was speaking to you or asking to do these things at this exact moment. Um, I think just in those type of situations, I think anytime if, if it gets to be where it's hostile, I mean, you certainly have disagreements. We have disagreements on the program, but I mean, if it gets to a point where you're hostile and you're feeling like I'm shaking and, you know, this is unpleasant, I, I always think disengaging uh, the conversation uh, and just picking it back up when you, I think you said to get an opportunity to just kind of get your breath, kind of get your bearings to figure out where things went wrong. Uh, if he's making accusations and saying that uh, questioning authority on a project uh, I would just clarify uh, exactly what you said there, clarify what you said in terms of I am not rejecting your authority as the producer. Uh, it's just, you know, we have a timetable uh, scheduled about uh, what's priority uh, for me to get done. This is not a priority right now. Just being clear about that. Emails can be great in this, too, to document exact. Cause, I mean, anytime where there's a, a question or an accusation about what's been said or, you know, he said she said that, you know, I'm not going to not going to follow his directions at this moment. Uh, having documentation of, you know, this is exactly uh, what I said. Uh, I think with this situation, um, 
you'll have leeway. I was going to say you can, it is another, another victim of, of white supremacy. You can exercise more patience. Some people don't operate in that manner. Uh, they function the same in the workplace. Uh, just saying, this is how I'm going to deal with the situation, particularly when somebody is, is behaving in a way that's made me uncomfortable or I feel like I might, you know, being mistreated. This is just going to be the code that, you know, I follow through and just being very bedrocked, very, uh, unflinching in how they adhere to the code regardless of whether it's a white person or a non-white person so uh that did any other males have any thoughts about uh since she asked for that specifically any of the other males uh, on the line have any thoughts about that interaction or how they would deal black male who's just saying she questioned his authority yeah and just to clarify like when like i said when he brought my director in first of all he decided to escalate to that after i came in and asked him you know what was the problem to try to resolve it between us but then he told her that so you know when i we were explaining what happened he interpreted it as like so she's telling me what to do but he i know i'm responding to your question because he initially before we had the meeting asked me like what we need to prepare so it's like it was like a no win Okay. Like my response to your question is me telling you what to do. Any of the other males that are with us have any any thoughts? I'll double check in uh, to see if I missed any of missed any of them. I'll double check before we get to the end of the broadcast. I know. Not a male, but we have not heard from her at all. Ivy, did you have any uh, comments that you wanted to get in before we get to the end of the broadcast? Yes, greetings, Gus, and uh, greetings to all the callers uh, on the line. Um, I wanted to, um, about Jacqueline, I wanted to ask if um, if it's, well, I'll say my question for the the, the last part. I'll, I'll say for the Codify software developer, I kind of figured that, you know, you didn't have anything in your desk because you, you stayed uh, codified. And I wanted to answer the firefighters' question about the NFL players. I think that uh, this is also a tactic to uh, create conflict between the players, especially uh, black players. Um, and I hope that they get to a point really where they can, you know, sue for this because, you know, for them to, you know, to be forced to have to stand for the anthem and, you know, all that nonsense, that's just, I just hope they can sue and win. And uh, as far as um, for Drop the Mania and uh, calling the cops, you know, for this, this race soldier who's stalking her and watching her and all of that, I think that that was great um, advice. And um, for the person who asked about sharing advice, I think it was Apple Valley, to share share advice with someone like sharing um, a book that you had and then she went and, you know, told some white people for people like that. In all honesty, for me personally, I wouldn't share anything else with them um, because I think that just me personally, I think people, if you don't know that you don't just go around sharing whatever somebody shares with you, you know, without asking them first, I mean, it's like you don't have any, um, you, you don't have a, um, any regard for, for privacy, um, and, and especially if you're going to go share with white people, like that's really, like that's really, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. Um, and what I was going to ask Dr. Mania is if it's possible if somebody could walk her in and out um, of her job, maybe for 
a little while until maybe this 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 race soldier disappears because um, I'm kind of concerned uh, for her, her her safety. And that was it. Thanks, Gus. Thanks, everyone. I'm in my line. Appreciate that, Ivy. Uh, I, ma'am, your volume is a little low. If you could speak up, it's still pretty low. Still pretty low. It was high before. I don't know what happened to bring it back down, but it, I mean, it's like whisper low. Yeah, they were um, they were messing with my uh, internet service, so I had to. Okay, can't hear you. And I did hear they've been messing with internet service, and then it dropped even lower. Um, if you can get it corrected quickly uh, in the last few minutes, uh, if you want to get your response in uh, to Ivy uh, on this broadcast, if not, we can do it for the compensatory call in. Did we have any folks that we missed completely? Just making sure we didn't miss anyone altogether. Okay, no one we missed altogether. If uh, any of the folks that are with us, uh, if folks wanted to comment uh, or if they had a situation of their own that they wanted to touch on, I know we had uh, the caller, uh, our female caller, who asked the question of uh, any of the black males that are with us. Uh, but if anybody had any other thoughts they wanted to share before we wrap up, do so now. Man, I'll wait. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Emmy. I'll be real quick. I'm not a man, not a male, but I do think that like, I give this consideration when I am working with or dealing with non-white males, specifically black males, and all that that means to be only a male or a boy and not a man and how sensitive that can be and all of that when it comes to how men males conceptualize themselves and whatnot. And so I personally try to have a lot of patience because as not being a male, I don't really have that kind of feeling of like something, my manhood and I'm a man and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but I do realize that that's a very real experience for the non-white black male. So I try to have like a lot of patience while you were speaking, I, w I had thought email before you told me he sent the email. So the only thing that I would do is just make sure that you're documenting things and that, you know, I don't know if you can establish any type of like peace with them, but if you're more codified, sometimes those of us who are a little bit more aware or have an ability to understand things get to be the you know, more mature or more responsible or caring for those who don't because they're just over there flapping in the wind, dealing with all of those emotions because they really are just terribly confused with no code, no light, nothing to really help them understand what's going on. So they're just a bunch of confusion, breeding more confusion. But that's just a suggestion. I totally understand if you choose to not do that, but that's how I go. Like even with the black male that I work with as a pharmacist, I try to give him as much of whatever I can. Um, it's a different environment, different situation, but, you know, I feel you, but maybe just a little understanding or whatnot might help. But thank you all for listening. Indeed. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that, Emmy. Uh, Draftomania, did you want to try it one more time? 
Okay, can you hear me better now? I'm quite much, sure you can. Much better. Okay. Um, as far as Ivy, thank you um, so much for your um, sentiments. And um, it, the funny thing about it is when I leave, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, they're being bold about it. It's like in, in broad daylight, you know what I mean? But I'm the only one on that side of the curve. So people are coming. So it is during the daytime. So, but the only thing when I go in at night, um, and it is kind of like a wooded area, so, I mean, I would hate to run into this individual at night when I'm going getting off the bus and then something should happen. So, I'm not sure if I can get somebody to catch me on the way out. But this guy is doing it on, in the morning time when I get off the, um, in the morning. So, I mean, I'm, I would suspect if anything happened that somebody would see something. But I'm just going to make people aware, you know, let my, um, take the suggestions that was given to me by Gus and um, the rest of the callers. And um, thank you. Indeed. You're welcome, and I wish you all the best. Go ahead. Go ahead. Not, Not a problem. Uh, the male callers that spoke up simultaneously, did you want to go? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, peace, greetings to you, Gus, and all the listeners. I'm just grateful for the forum that you all provide. But um, being, being a uh, non-white um, black male, um, I wanted to, so I, I kind of had a similar experience actually during my time. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, in response to the previous caller dealing with the um, situations with the um, with the non-white male at the office um, that was invading her space and micromanaging, um, I just completed some military time in the army, and um, without going into too much detail. Um, that is just an exercise in, in white supremacy um, exacted on victims um, by, 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 by victims and, and, um, and, and people who classify themselves as white. But I, I would say my advice would be um, what, what the previous caller actually already brought up, which was trying to utilize some patience and stay codified. But the thing is, though, a lot of people, like I dealt with the situation where there was a, um, a, a, a victim as well, but a victim that was in his, I want to say, early 50s in the military that was an extremely aggressive micromanager. Um, and it had more to do with, with his mentality as well as his rank, if you will. But the thing is, you could see it was basically, um, it, it was real victimization going on and, and, and he couldn't see that he was a victim. So, um, I mean, wow, I lost my train of thought, but my point is I would say, um, I just want to basically, chime in on what the previous caller said that I agree with her advice, which was, you know, trying to utilize some patience, but also staying codified because, I mean, some of this behavior is just inappropriate. I mean, there's no reason for that um, victim to have acted the way in which he acted, in my opinion. So um, I thank you, Gus. I thank you, listeners. And and first time caller, thank you all. And I mute my line. So see thank you. Oh, well, quick question for you. You're saying that what, who was exercising white supremacy? You said it was oh. exercise. You know, like from um, I'm saying from my um, previous military experience, it was white supremacy being ex in the system that we're living under. I'm saying the victims were also taking part in it, and I'm saying maybe they were, were unwilling or willing. But knowing what I know now about certain things and, and looking back on things that went on and still go on from people that I know, it's just amazing to me that I mean that just the behaviors and the actions that are condoned in in our military. So just to be clear, in okay. our military. So it's just, 
it's just it's just it's it's confusion it's confusion understood okay thank you thank you for your insight i mean my life Uh, do we have any other uh, callers who had a comment, question they wanted to get in before we conclude? I did. Stacy in the UK. Um, I'll be very quick. I just wanted to ask um, if she felt that um, he, what what's driving his behavior is that he feels that his job is at risk. And if you think your director is somehow manipulating the both of you, I'll make my line. No, um, he, his job is completely different. So what happened was people that are producing these different videos, um, it's an additional like task that's assigned to everyone on the team. So everyone's done one on top of their regular job. But he, he does have a background in broadcast and he used to do it before. So it may have been a whole thing of like, I know how to do this and I don't know. You know, everyone likes it, it's fun and they don't get to do it as their regular job and that's my full-time role there. That's another thing possibly. Um, Okay. Uh, was there another caller who spoke up? Last question or comment that they were going to get in? Yeah. Yes, thanks, Gus. That was me. I just wanted to say um, to Thomas in New York that um, what may help is um, me trying to sue at your job because it's, it's you're being terrorized and harassed and no one's um, doing anything, anything about it. And so maybe you could uh, look into legal action for that. And I wish you all the best. And I wish all the uh, codified uh, software developer the best as well. I mean, my line. Thanks, Gus. Appreciate that, Ivy. I think Thomas in New York works with uh, attorneys, like a whole building full of legal folks, unless I'm in air or accountants, one of the two. Close enough. Uh, we will be here tomorrow. Invisible Man. Ralph Ellison, study session number four. Man, oh man, uh, I'm super enjoying uh, reading the book. It is amazing. Top five all time. We are still very early in the text. So if you have not you know, been following what have you, you can easily catch up in the archives. We haven't gotten very far at all. I think we're on uh, chapter six for tomorrow. Man, oh man. Ralph Ellison, the genius, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll be here on Saturday for the compensatory call-in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, again, Cal's t-shirts, please treat me like I am a white person. Cal's shirt at gmail.com, C-O-W-S, all capital letters, shirt at gmail.com. Much obliged to all the folks uh, for participating. Uh, Stacy in the UK hanging out with us until the finish line. Eight, excuse me, 4 a.m. Friday morning, London time. Her and the royal wedding, and she made it through all of that and still came in to participate for the duration. Uh, Do you want to give a, a, a parting shot on the royal wedding? You weren't with us for the Global Sunday Talk parting shot. Royal wedding, you were at ground zero and survived. Oh, I certainly didn't watch that. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's my parting shot. That's the parting <laughs> shot. Right on. 
uh, I hope it was worthy of your uh, time and energy, all the folks for participating, uh, whether you listened or were able to chime in or wrote in. Thanks for the folks who wrote in as well. Uh, again, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Racists have terrorized a lot of black people uh, because we were not thinking clearly because of their poisons and narcotics. I know Dr. Welsing would super cosign on yes. Let us take excellent care of our brain computers, our health, so that we can think clearly and crank out new concepts, solutions to permanently solve the problem racist man racist woman racist child certainly if we're going to be out and about in a vehicle enjoying the weather and what have you we want to be sober and buckled up let's do everything we possibly can to minimize contact with race soldiers no playing on the phone while we are behind the wheel either they uh, do a lot of aggressive ticketing uh for that sort of thing in these parts about that phone as well that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Yeah.